0: And salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best day and Move related show on the planet Earth, the John Campy Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campy, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather on as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff. We're joined by one Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Back there, we got Ray Aura. Of course, we got Taylor Gonzalez. Running the show is Jonathan Voico. And being Thursday, we got Aaron Cummings here with a little DC-themed Joey Bishop here today, looking oh. good in her Wonder Woman outfit. And most importantly, you guys are here. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. And here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to break the show into two parts. In the first half of the show, we're going to talk about some predetermined topics. Then in the second half of the show, for those of you who are one of our beloved channel members, we're going to be opening up a a community post in the community tab. Go on in there and fire in your comments and questions in that community tab, and we will go through our channel members' thoughts and questions, at least as many as we can before the end of the show. Then again, don't forget, a little bit later today, guys, around 3 p.m. Los Angeles time, that's about 6 p.m. New York time, we're going to be having an open mic, so come on back and join us for that as well. A little bit of housekeeping, I want to remind you guys, if you need your daily fix of The John Campus Show, but you can't be in front of a YouTube channel, there is an audio-only podcast simply called The John Campy Show Podcast. Go on to your favorite podcasting app of choice and subscribe to it today so it'll be there when you need it. All right, with that down, guys, let's get into a couple of off-the-tops here, and we're going to start with this. Now, of course, yesterday came, or yeah, two days ago, came the all the big D.C. news, right? Big news, big, big news, big news, way more projects being announced than I thought they were big going surprises. to. Big surprises. Some big surprises, absolutely, Swamp Thing was a big surprise. Now, one of the questions that came up, though, was, look, DC has done some R-rated stuff, Suicide Squad, Peacemaker, stuff not, not coincidentally connected to Joker. James Gunn. Joker was rated R. So one of the questions that came up was: I remember one of our viewers asked, Do we think that the new DC will be a combination of you know PG 13 and R-rated? Do we think they're gonna do some R? Do we think they're going to do um you know whatever? And, you know, the answer to that has been, well, I don't know. Like, honestly, I, I don't really think so. Because if, you're, if all these things are going to be connected, right? If all the universes and everything are going to be connected, then it's going to be very difficult for you to have, say, I don't know, I'm making this up, an Aquaman movie that's rated R and having Aquaman acting really R-rated, and then do a batman movie that aquaman crosses into and all of a sudden he's not rated r all of a sudden he's very different so i wasn't really sure what they would do but james gunn has done a lot of r-rated material well i guess enough people asked him online that james gunn decided to address this himself when he actually uh did say actually moving back let me back up i'm getting ahead of myself on my james gunn related topics we'll get to the r-rated stuff in a second the second question besides the R-rated thing that everybody was bringing up is how much is going to be PG-13, how much is going to be rated R. The other question has was, is this a hard reboot, a pseudo reboot, a soft reboot, not really a reboot? I mean, what's it going to be? Dave Batista came out the other day and said, oh, James Gunn is starting from page one. Full reboot from scratch. It's like, okay, all right. But now we're hearing that he's still talking. Jason Momoa saying, hey, I'm always going to be Aquaman. We're hearing some reports saying that he's talking to Gal Gadot. We know that there's going to be a Waller TV series, which goes back in. So is it, is it not? Somebody straight up asked James Gunn online about it. And he said, well, it's going to be kind of be yes or no. He said this. He goes, nope, it's not a total reboot. It's the Flash has not reset everything. He said this. Nope. Flash resets many things, but not all things. Some characters remain the same some do not. I'll read that again. Nope, the flash does not re- reset everything, but the re- flash resets many things. Not all things. Some characters remain the same, and some do not. Okay. This could mean several things, because I'll admit, right off the bat, my first reaction to that is a little bit of trepidation, because that could be very confusing to the audience. It's like, well, wait a minute, let's say, let's for argument's sake, say Jason Momoa is still Aquaman. Okay. Well, there's Jason Momoa Aquaman, but we just saw Jason Momoa interacting with a very Ben Affleck looking Batman. And all of a sudden now there's this new Batman. (laughs) We just saw Aquaman interacting with Superman, a very Henry Cavill looking Superman. And all of a sudden there's a brand new Superman with a different background and a different story. I mean, I could see that that could be a little bit confusing to some people. Now, at the same time, the terminologies of soft reboot, quasi reboot, hard reboot, all that kind of stuff can become a little bit muddied because we have seen TV shows and movies where something happens in the past to change the present. Doesn't mean everything is different. I mean, yes, it's a new reality. But just because it's a brand new reality doesn't mean that there are going to be a number of things that still look like the old reality with some things being different. You know, somebody goes back in time, they come back, oh, they're not married to their wife anymore. But their wife is still there. Their wife is still an accountant. Their wife still has brown eyes. I mean, that's all the same, but it's just not their wife anymore. So I could kind of see it, and we're going to need James Gunn to give some clarification on this, but I can kind of see we're saying, look, The Flash resets the universe, so now it it is a different universe. But being a different universe doesn't necessarily mean that everything in that universe is different. Just like we've seen in many other movies and shows like that, some things are the same. The White House is still there. Some things are different. Again, that's just my guess about how he's going to approach it. Rob, you heard his words. How do you interpret them and what do you think it's going to mean?
1: Well, I think, look, we know that the Flash movie is essentially Flashpoint, yes. and, and they're using it in the same way, which I think is genius. I don't think they always planned on using it as drastically as they could use it now. But if you go back to the actual, look, the idea of, of multiverses or changing history, I mean, I, I, I hark back once again to Star Trek, third season, Next Generation episode, Yesterday's Enterprise. In the opening scene of that, there is a shift in the universe and a character who is dead, suddenly is on the bridge of the enterprise and wharf is gone and the federation is at war with well that the was Klingons. the tasha yar episode right? yes yeah yesterday's enterprise everyone went with come it. on tell me you're a little bit proud of me for i pr- that. I'm, prou- <laughs> I'm proud of you for knowing <laughs> I that i give it all to you that was very very good but but i think that everybody acclimated and understood what happened because it was presented in a way that was easy to understand and with the flash from what I understand, there's a villainous flash in this movie that Ezra Miller also plays. So I think the idea of a universe changing, uh, and and they're gonna make it very clear, this is a brand new universe, but some things I think are gonna stay the same. Like, let's just say Jason Momoa, they retain him as Aquaman in this post-James Gunn, the Gunverse, I'll just call it the Gunverse. I think they would be able to then change everything that we know of Aquaman, Jason Momoa would still be Aquaman, but everything else could be different. Atlantis could look totally different. There could be whole new different characters that we haven't met yet, and you could recast the entire secondary cast of that film. And, well, and add- theoretically, theoretically, since I think the events of
0: Aquaman's childhood predate the events of what Flashpoint is going to be, right? It could be that like J- Jason Momoa, that uh, I am Boba Fett is still his dad. Sure. And uh Heartbreak feels good in a place like this is still his mom. Colkin. <laughs> and <laughs>
1: just call her Heartbreak. But then That's everything her superhero name.
0: After that, like like that, he was dropped off there, yep. raised at the but then maybe everything after that starts to change. He never meets uh, Mara. He never Exactly. Yeah, all that kind of stuff could be different.
1: So it, and, and what's interesting is it's like when they, you know, Flashpoint led into the new fifty two. And they had you still have Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, but they're different. Right, And I think if they did that, I mean, all you do, you could cut, I don't know if he would do this, but if you gave Jason Momoa a short haircut, you know, and he was, he was in the traditional gold and sort of green Aquaman costume from the get, and people understood that. It could be interesting because then he could also play the character less of, say, Dude Bro Aquaman and be more of a of a, a different kind of Aquaman. But we love Dude Bro Aquaman. I, I love Dude Bro Aquaman, too. I'm just saying that his performance, though, could be subtly different or different in such a way that that maybe, like you said, uh, Tamara Morrison is not a lighthouse keeper. Maybe he has a different background. Or they could even go back even further and maybe in Flashpoint there's different time periods touched upon. And when we come back, the Atlanteans are at war. In this new universe, who is to say that the Atlanteans aren't at war with Paradise Island?
0: Right, which is, which is a trope in the in, Flashpoint storyline.
1: The, the so they could do that, at, which, by the way, how interesting would that be? And then you launch into their Paradise Lost show, and it would deal with how did this animosity with the Atlanteans come about? Because like in Game of Thrones, you need other lands so wouldn't it be cool that you have the parallel of of the Atlanteans and the and the uh... well that's where it gets difficult because in the traditional Flashpoint storyline right Barry goes
0: back prevents the murder of his mother and that alters time yes the problem though is like events like the uh the Themyscira one Paradise Lost that happens hundreds of years before Barry goes back to save his right son. so you can't change too much
1: but unless there. you say that that you could also maybe what the flash does because of the way he travels through time, that the time ripples go forward and backward. Yeah. Or something. We've seen that done before. And even it's back to Star Trek, all good things. Oh, geez.
2: I think it's really a smart word salad, so to speak, by James Gunn to just say some things will stay the same, some things will be different. It's just going to be a, you know, choose your own adventure kind of world that we're all living in for DC. It's very smart on his part because then people are not so married to one idea that it all has to be part of the same universe or it has to be a complete reboot. And let's also be clear about something Henry Cavill wasn't fired. He stopped saying he was fired because he wasn't. They're doing a different iteration of a character that has been played by many different actors. And that doesn't mean that Henry Cavill will never be Superman ever again in his entire life. We don't know. And that might be a cool thing that we get to see in the future. But for whatever reason, the next step for Superman, is going to be a younger version. And everybody's saying, well, you can't keep this character and not have Henry Cavill. Yeah, actually you can. Because at the end of the day, it all depends on what story is being told. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we see several other characters played by a certain actor now being cast as younger or older or a different timeline. We already know I- Batman's going to be one of the different ones. I mean, anybody. 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 I'm just excited because I feel like for the and and even somebody in the chat just said, my God, it's all so convoluted. How do you keep it straight? What I'm hearing is that you don't have to keep it straight. We don't have to work that hard as an audience to understand what's going on, because some things will be in a timeline and some things will be able to just go and watch and, you know, go into the world and not have to do your homework first. And I think for a lot of people, that's going to be, you know, something that draws them in. To be clear, though, it
0: is all one timeline. It it like James Gunn has said, this is all in the same thing, and the, the few projects that aren't are gonna be labeled as DC else worlds. But I but I think Aaron's right in the sense that I think it's gonna become very apparent and very clear that like you said, that one Star Trek episode is a great example. The episode starts and Tasha Yar is there. It's like, well, wait a minute, the timeline got reset. Some things are the same. Picard's still there. Some things are different. Tasha Yar is alive. And Worf is not the chief of security. And I think we'll adjust to it pretty quickly.
1: I agree. And you know what else they can do? I mean, in the the standard timeline DC universe, when I was a kid, my favorite thing I've said on the show many times was the Justice League, Justice Society team-ups. And Earth 2 existed. And the whole thing was started with the Flash of Two Worlds storyline when he was on the cosmic treadmill. So you could even bring back the Justice Society with with Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate from Earth 2 and Henry Cavill could be their Superman. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do Earth (laughs) 1, Earth 2. I know, but I mean, they could.
0: could. Everything's there and possible. I don't think they will. Anyway, guys, question is for you. My man, what do you guys think about this? Like, do you think it's going to be really difficult for people to wrap their heads around? Do you think it's going to be fairly straightforward? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move over to our Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. Ryan Reynolds is up there in Vancouver somewhere feeling all lonely. He needs you to call the hotline at 951-268-4259. Leave your message on that Mint Mobile hotline uh, machine, and it will come to us, and we maybe will address the one that you send in. So today we got a question also asking about James Gunn's DC Universe. Hey, John, this is Alan. I know we're all excited about the DC announcements yesterday, but one other thing I just saw today was that James Gunn said there will also be projects that are PC 13 and rated R. So my question to you is, which are the projects he announced and which projects do you see coming, coming out soon that could be rated R? The Authority maybe maybe could be one of them? Thanks. Let's hear your thoughts. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in. And, and we were alluding to this a little bit earlier, that on top of the big question about hard reboot, soft reboot, whatever, because it is James Gunn, And because he has done several R-rated things already, I mean, a lot of R-rated things in his career, but several R-rated things within the DC universe itself, a question has come up about, well, you know, then how many uh, are they going to, you know, have R-rated in PG-13? I, for a long time, thought, I don't think they're going to make any rated R stuff if they're really connecting this whole universe. Because again, as I said earlier, how do you say have an R-rated, dirty mouth, whatever, Aquaman in one movie, and then bring that same Aquaman into a Superman movie that you're not going to let be rated R and have him act completely different. But again, it's James Gunn. Well, James Gunn uh, has come out and said that, yeah, it does look like they are going to be able to give themselves the opportunity to go back and forth between R-rated stuff and PG-rated stuff. Uh, He said this, and you you can bring this up on my screen if you want, Jonathan. So he said the following. Somebody was asked if this is going to be rated R stuff or whatever, and he said, it depends on the story. We're going to give every story what it deserves. Some things we know Superman, one of the things we know is that Superman definitely something we know we'd like to be PG-13. So I'm going to make sure that it is. Other things, like the Waller TV show, are a bit more mature and we have other things that are aimed at a bit more uh for at young women or at kids that are still within this world. Okay, so James Gunn does a couple of things in this statement here. He's acknowledging again this is all in the same world so we got to be careful. But guess what? In our real world, there's some more gentler, more PG people like myself. There are some Are you uh, a PG person well, who wants I, I to bring
2: on
1: the I filthy?
0: I oh, about. I'm a very PG guy. It.
2: Uh-huh. Uh-huh, what I'm all PG uh-huh. all the
0: time. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray, Ann and I didn't hold hands until after we were married. Just let well, everybody is know true. That. that. That
1: is true. I got confirmation. Not, for
0: sorry, Ray. I just that. want to talk about that yeah, topic.
1: Yeah, yeah no. Ever, <laughs> ever, ever in my life. <laughs> New off the Should top. That ever be talked about? Ever, <laughs> ever, ever.
0: <laughs> sorry, I didn't, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I, and then you got you know you got some uh, more mature things in our world, right? So James Gunn's acknowledging both, but I like what he said. Look, it'll depend on the individual project. By saying it depends on the individual project, that is him clearly saying, yeah, there's going to be R-rated stuff. I mean, he said right off the get-go, Waller is clearly going to be R-rated. It's coming out of that Peacemaker kind of side of the universe, Suicide Squad side of the universe that he's been building already. And so, yeah, there's that. So then that brings up the question, which other ones, which other projects do we think could end up being rated R? So, uh, let's go over and look at the list here. Let's bring up my, my screen here again for a second. You're going to have to shrink that one in. So, I mean, first off, we already know that this one is not going to be one of them. Superman likes it. He specifically says, look, we got Superman. That ain't going to be rated R. So, we know Superman is not going to be one of the ones.
1: The Authority? It has to be rated R.
0: It, I, mm-hmm. I think you're
1: right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the comic was basically the authority was kind of a precursor to the boys. If anybody, I mean, but with much more of a justice league feel, it's a much bigger, you know, they're traveling through the bleed and all that, but it was definitely, and the two main characters are in a, Gay relationship
0: that doesn't necessarily make it. That right doesn't make R, it. Though. Well, it you hard. gotta
1: come on with their what they do. Come on, you, you want to see? That? Some, they see some hardcore superhero man on man. They necessarily do the
2: action. things they do in the in <laughs> the comic book. Robert Meyer Burnett coming here for the hardcore man on man action. Here's, on. here's the problem it.
0: though. Here's the problem with that though. If your theory is right, and we don't know that it is, right. but if your theory is right, that like they're setting up the authority to be the de facto villains of the gods and monsters yep. phase, then that becomes problematic because that means you're going to have to have the authority in with Superman. You're going to have to have the authority with Batman. You're going to have to have the authority with, and so can you have them be this hardcore R rated thing here? And then all of a sudden they're not in all these other projects. Well, it th- makes it
1: a little challenging. I think, yeah, I, I think you're right, but I think it, it's like if they bring it, for instance, it's the way the authorities deals with criminals, for instance, like right. Apollo taking somebody in, but we as, a, as an audience, because we've seen The Boys and we've seen Joker and we've seen Peacemaker and, and Super, Suicide Squad, we can kind of, I think, no longer is there the uh, thought that superhero uh, shows and movies are for kids. Mm-hmm. They've, they've moved into a more mature level. They're now the number one top grossing genre of film maybe ever. And I think that there's a level of maturity that's expected on the part of the audience. And that's why I think, obviously, we start as kids loving these characters, and then we mature up as we move through the pantheon of animated series, comics. I mean, comics themselves have become really R-rated. Sure, but remember, the, the most profitable ones
0: are all pg 13 like, it's very, very sure. rare that you get an R-rated one that nudges into the billion dollar. But
1: I think, but I do think you could have, we just haven't seen it yet. I think you could make an R-rated authority movie, but then move them over as villains in a kingdom And come-esque. scale it back a little bit. Yeah, like, you wouldn't have the violence and the sex.
0: Okay. So, well, let's keep going here. I don't think anybody else will disagree that the Brave and the Bold will definitely be PG-13. Yeah. Especially, I mean, it depends on how old they age Robin, but still, I, I think it's pretty safe that Brave and the Bold is going to be PG-13. All right, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. My first thought is to say, obviously, PG-13. But that being said, when they were describing the Supergirl Mm -hmm. project, let me read this last thing. This paragraph, when they were describing the Supergirl project, they said this, we see the difference between Superman who was sent to Earth and raised by loving parents from the time that he's an infant versus Supergirl who was raised on a rock chip off of Krypton, watched everyone around her die and be killed in terrible ways for the first 14 years of her life. In anybody else's hands other than James Gunn, we say definitely PG-13. I'm going to say there's a 10% chance here that maybe the Supergirl project, they really want to differentiate... Because in a lot of iterations, Supergirl is just a female version of Superman. Right. Mm-hmm. If they really want to differentiate her, in the hands of a James Gunn, I mean, so I'm going to say 10% chance of Supergirl's rated R. What do you well, think? even you
2: look at the line right below what you just read, and it says this is going to that James Gunn says this will be much more. Hardcore. It's much more hardcore. But Rob <laughs> brings up a good point. So much of the differentiation between a PG 13 and an R rating really comes down to violence, language, and sex, with language and sex being the biggest ones. You can still have a lot of violence in PG 13, but this, the second you show a little butt crack, you are definitely <laughs> in rated R territory.
1: I Look, I totally agree with that. And like, what if you went, what if Supergirl's more like Conan the Barbarian, like mm-hmm. John Milius is Conan? where Horrible Childhood forges her into the person that she is and she's basically uh, one step away from a Viking in a way and comes to Earth and her ways have to be tamed and the only person that could do anything to tame her ways is her cousin, Kalel, Right. And that could be, I mean, she could be, and not understand, can you imagine if somebody who's raised in a hardcore environment finds her way to Earth and the first time she gets in some kind of scrape she ends up pulling somebody apart, limb from limb, not understanding her own power under a under a yellow sun. I mean, that could be really interesting and and hardcore. But then again, her character arc could change her from an R rated character into a PG thirteen character, and we see that arc happen. All right, so that's Supergirl. Now we get into the one thing that I
0: think is the number one thing on the movie side that I think is clearly going to be rated R, and that's Swamp Thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, they're already saying that this is going to walk the line of being a straight up horror film and all that kind of stuff i i'll go so far as to say this i'll actually be surprised if they say it's not an r-rated thing i don't know
1: rob what do you think i don't see that they can do it and not make it r-rated especially if you lean into alan moore's run which is sort of the definitive run of swamp thing even as len ween started swamp thing out um it's a horror comic that delves into some dark stuff and weird stuff too. So, I mean there's always elements of body horror in this, Cronenbergian body horror and I think that a, a PG-13 swamp thing movie would be a little I think disappointing. Mm-hmm. I mean this has got to be hardcore horror. <laughs> hardcore
2: right. Rob. Hard, right, on, hardcore Rob Day. Right now and I'm living for it. Send me yeah. your scripts. <laughs> don't right.
0: send me your scripts, don't. We now move over to the television side and Listen, this is their animated one. I absolutely see them going R, especially since the weasel is going to be a part of the Creature Commandos. Uh, weasel murders a lot of men, women, and children. Um, I, I don't see any way around it that Creature Commandos is not going to be rated R. Any, any disagreements in the room? No. no. Yeah, this one's not going to be Disney TV. Uh, Waller is clearly going to be rated R. This is the same world as the Peacemaker world. That was clearly extremely rated R. They're gonna go rated right at and Waller, no doubt. Uh, lanterns. Now, here's the interesting thing. I would have said lanterns is a clear one for PG thirteen. There are two asterisks, though. Number one, they make a comparison to true detective. So, I mean, you could have made a comparison to Matlock if you just want to say it's a mystery, right? You could have just done that. You could have just said, you know, it's it's a but no, they went true detective. The second thing is it's HBO Max, which they clearly don't mind going. Look, I still think the odds are that it is a PG-13 HBO Max series. I go 75% that it's PG-13. But again, because they make the direct True Detective comparison and the fact that it's HBO, I'm going to say it's got like a 25% chance of being right R. What do you think, Rob?
1: I think you're right. I, I think if anything, because the True Detective, that, that, that comparison, that first season of True Detective is a masterpiece. I mean, it is an incredible, it's definitely R-rated in terms of its thematic structure, but it really depends on what the mystery is that they're, like, if they're not looking for a serial killer or missing a missing girl or something, if what they're going to uncover is something like the anti-life equation, you know, or something of side related or dealing with the new gods or something cosmic, they can make it scary and weird. I could see it X-Files-esque. And X-Files episodes like Home slipped into the R rated territory, but but X Files X Files really skirted the line. I could see it still being PG thirteen dipping into R rating uh territory occasionally but pulling back before it gets too bad. Do you think
0: uh do you think uh Green Lantern the Green Lantern HBO show, do you think they'll lean rated R? Do you think they'll be PG thirteen? What do you think?
2: I think for a lot of the HBO shows they're gonna lean into the rated R because unlike the films They're really focusing on an audience. You know, with HBO, you can get away with so much more. It's not TV. It's HBO um, because there's not as concerned about the overall box office. You know, you've talked before and even earlier today about how uh, PG-13 versus rated R, just that that separation Um, of those ratings really is going to affect the overall box office. And with the streaming, they're not as worried about that. They know that they're going to get eyeballs. They're already they've already got the subscription. So I think that the projects that are on HBO are going to lean more R, and they're going to have to be a little bit more careful about the ones that they're actually putting in the theaters where the numbers really are going to count.
0: All right. We keep going on down the list now and we get to Paradise Lost. This is the one to me that's a coin toss. Because if you're if you're again they say it's they they made the comparison whereas lanterns made the comparison to True Detective they make the direct comparison of Game of Thrones Mm -hmm. with Paradise Lost. I I think they're probably going to go more PG. Thirteen. Uh, by the way, I've seen the people. I I see you in the live chat saying, "Jab, don't you know that they don't have our ratings on television?" I, I we understand that. We're talking about in principle what is what is this guidelines going to be? Yeah. There's obviously TVMA versus. We're but talking in terms of our basic understanding of RPG, PG thirteen, things like that. I think it's a coin toss. I really do. I I think it's uh, there's many many. It, this would be an easy show to make PG thirteen. It can be. Violent, it can be intense, it can be all that kind of stuff and still be PG 13. But it can very easily get into some heavy R-rated R-rated stuff too. So I'm gonna call a push on this and say 50-50. Rob, which way do you think Paradise Lost will go?
1: Well, on the flip side of the authority, you know, if you go, if you're dealing with a society that's all women and matriarchal in nature, and you're doing it Game of Thrones style, you know the women on women stuff could happen too oh, but, yeah, you know, so but seriously you'd have to structure yeah. Yeah. a i'm just kidding but you'd have to structure a society like how, how would an all-woman society be structured in terms of politics in terms of religion coming being created from the gods and sexuality would have to play some part of it mm-hmm. because uh, do do these women yearn i mean wonder woman is was we saw her grow up what would, would women want well, she, children? She
0: addressed, well, Chris yeah. Pine directly asks her the question in Wonder Woman's and, and Wonder Woman actually directly addresses that. There's, yeah.
1: there's no, you know, and and, and I think that they're, they're, simply because you have a matriarchal civilization, it really depends on what they're going to show you, because if you're dealing with the internal machinations of Paradise Island and what's going on, I think you could do something really hard-hitting and interesting, but on the other hand, it is still Wonder Woman, and it is still ultimately you're going to have you're going to want mothers and daughters to watch this show the people that were the audience for the wonder woman films wouldn't you but again but again you can have you can have relationships and it not be rated R. It's I, true. I mean, there's nothing about that. I know, like, well, it, it depends I, on the tone. They said Game of Thrones. I'm thinking R-rated. Well,
0: yeah, yeah I mean, right. there's that too. So I don't know, Aaron, would you, R-rated, PG-leaning, they're making the comparison to Game of Thrones. What do you think?
2: I would love for Paradise Lost to be R-rated, specifically because I want there to be the viciousness of the hierarchy that we saw in Game of Thrones. I want there to be the violence, which I think that there will be. And, I th- and yes, obviously we're going to see some incredible love stories. Um, and, and again, I'm encouraging James Gunn to reach out to Ashley Lyle, who did Yellow Jackets, because the dynamic between women um is, is really a fascinating thing and it can be this can be so well done and have so much intrigue. You know, there's some people in the chat that have been mentioning, you know, that I did Spartacus because we were talking about who's the PG 13 win here. Obviously I am clearly not. Um, but you know, even with one of the things that was great about Spartacus is that in the writing of Stephen S. Tonight, He showed the power positioning of the women with one another and how vicious that can be. And also the beautiful friend relationships, the platonic relationships, and also the romantic relationships. I think that this has the potential to be an unbelievable show and i think that with a an r rating or a tvma rating they not only could get into the romantic relationships but also get into the brutality that would absolutely exist in this world as well i'm uh, i'm here for the r
0: by the way i while we were talking i put up a poll in the live chat just asking you guys our viewers a simple question i asked i said will paradise lost be r rated um it's and it's closer than i thought 59 percent think yes it'll be r-rated 41 percent say no it will not
1: so it'll be interesting to see how that one goes can i just say that aaron cummings might have just coined my new favorite phrase of 2023 I'm, I'm here for the r i'm here for the I'm r. here for the I'm r i'm here for the I'm r here, and right up with there with bring on the filthy i'm here for the r yes. r for redhead all right the
0: last one on the list they've got here is booster gold and at first my first thought was well that's it's going to be a lighter comedy they're they're going to go you know but you know what the more i thought about it i think this one will probably be more in the vein of peacemaker mm. i think this one will probably and i think a, a trend and a theme is popping up here i think they know their harder core. now swamp thing notwithstanding i think their hardcore art stuff is the stuff they're shuffling over to... And then other than Lanterns, which I think is probably going to be PG-13. You might be right about this. But I think they're... my, And this is just a guess. I'm guessing Booster Gold will go... They already said it's comedy. I think they're going to go full-blown into the Peacemaker style of comedy on this one. So I... Booster Gold, R or PG-13.
1: Dude, it could go either way, but I think an R-rated Booster Gold would be way more fun than a oh, PG yeah. Booster Gold oh, would yeah. be.
2: But then I wonder, does it then get too much into the comparisons of The Boys and Peacemaker?
0: Does it matter as long as people watch? And that's, that's what I'm wondering about. If the rate, cause, cause no, you're the, right, the you're peacemaker, right. No, because you're not wrong. I'm, I'm just on top of that as well is that Peacemaker was the number one show in the world. So that style of humor brought into the world of DC seemed to work. So, then, look, it's like it's like um, the comparison I make in my head was when I first saw ads for Parks and Rec, mm-hmm. I avoided the show for its first year and a half because I thought it just looks like another The Office. It's just The Office all over again. Mm. Yeah. When I started watching it, I found out number one, I was right. It is really just <laughs> another Office. Yeah. But number two, that didn't matter because it was hilarious and one of my favorite shows of all time. Now, so maybe maybe that's her thinking on
1: booster gold i mean if you wanted to go the r-rated route you could you could make booster gold somebody more like an andrew tate character where he's talking about chicks and making money and all this and and i'm from the future and i've got all this power and what are you going to do about it and i've got all these endorsements and i'm i mean i could and i i would be so there for that (laughs) if they if they lean but if they leaned into more of because that's kind of what booster gold is. He comes back, he sets himself up as a capitalist superhero and loving life and going to parties and hanging out and
2: yeah, but s- that that has a that has a real short time limit on it. And so yeah, it's definitely. like how far yeah. can you take that that gimmick you know well, if- but
1: I mean the, but that's the his journey you know his journey is that's how he begins. But then when he comes to earth and he interacts with the other superheroes and he he finds his moral compass.
2: Okay, I I hear you, and I don't totally disagree with you. Personally, my taste is I'm not really here for the Andrew Tate redemption story. Well, no, I, 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 not I, look, him. I just use that as a but I, shorthand you know I mean? example. It's like, okay, go have your journey, and then come back to us when you're ready to be I, an adult.
1: Perhaps that was a bad. I just that was my shorthand. That was what popped into my mind. No, 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 I I hear you. I brash, hear you. Media savvy character yeah. that makes money and talks a lot of stuff. All right. Guys, the question is
0: for you. we have It's been made clear by James Gunn. Some stuff is going to be rated R. The question is going to be which stuff will be, which stuff won't be. Is it going to be kind of even? Will it be a couple of things will be rated R? A lot of, them? I don't know. Whatever you guys think they're going to do here, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. Before we go into our uh, break here and, and getting into our main talks, I want to let you guys know about something, a little bit of an announcement here. Uh, We, a lot of people are often writing in and asking about doing some live events. Well, today we are announcing we have a live event coming up on Sunday, February 19th. That's just a little over, that's about two and a half weeks from now. Sunday, February 19th, uh, we are having an event called An Evening with Campia Harloff and Alba. It's myself, of course, uh, Greg Alba of Rio Rejects, Christian Harloff from the Christian Harloff channel, who you see on our channel once in a while. And we are going to be at the Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank, downtown Burbank, California, on Sunday night, February 19th. And uh, there's going to be a little bit of stand-up comedy to warm the show up. And then Greg, Christian, and I are going to come up on stage. And we're going to talk about the online movie space. We're specifically going to talk about the new Ant-Man movie because the new Ant-Man opens just a couple of days before that. And tickets are on sale now. Uh, Jonathan, I'm going to ha- have you make sure you take the link there. And put it in the description of the video. I just put it in
1: the live chat as well.
0: Oh, you put it in the live chat as well? And drop it in the description of the video. If you guys want to get your tickets, if you are in the L.A. area or you feel like flying on out for it, this will be worth it. Uh, Make sure you guys come and join us for that. Again, an evening with Campia Harloff and Alba. Sunday, February 19th in Burbank, California. We hope that we will see you there. Okay. With that down, guys, we're going to head into our main topics. But before we do, we're going to take just a moment here and thank one of the sponsors of our show today. There are new sponsors around here, and we're so glad that they are. Our friends over at Fume. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Fume. Be smart. Don't start. Kick the habit. Put it out before it puts you out. All phrases we've heard a hundred times, and yet we still continue to have bad habits. Today's sponsor, Fume, is on a mission to accelerate humanity's breakup from the bad habits that consume far too many of us. Fume is a natural diffusive device that uses plants and behavioral science to help you trade out your negative habit for a positive one. You see, Fume is not a vape. It's a non-electronic device designed to transform your negative habits. Because instead of pods filled with potentially harmful chemicals like a vape, Fume uses cores infused with plants like peppermint and cinnamon for delicious natural flavors. And Fume's new version 2 model is snappy and tactile. With an adjustable airflow dial and a magnetic end cap, your fingers will always have something to do. The device itself is really attractive and once I popped in the core and took my first inhale of it, it tasted fantastic. Guys, the easiest way to stop a bad habit is to switch to a positive one and Fume is designed to perfectly do just that. So head over to tryfume.com and use the promo code CAMPIA to save 10% off when you get the Journey Pack today. The Journey Pack comes with three unique flavors and the new version two fume to help kickstart your positive habits. That's tryfume, dot and use the code CAMPIA to save an additional 10% off your order today. And thank you to our friends at Fume for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. All right, guys that down let's get into our main topics here today shall we we're gonna start off
2: with topic number one aaron what is our first main topic today our first main topic comes to us um sorry my computer was learning on the screen uh oh there it is it's right in front of me ding dong (laughs) hi our first main topic comes to us from tj jordan with the barely even a teaser for fast x giving us an update on when to expect an actual trailer I got to thinking about the status of Hobbs and Shaw, too. Is Universal waiting to see the results of X and XI before 10 10 and 11? 11, Excuse me, 10 (laughs) and 11. (laughs) Hello, ding-dong alert. Uh, Before green-lighting any spinoffs? Or did the results of the first film cause this? Or both? Thanks, and keep on bringing on the filthy.
0: All right, TJ, thanks a lot for saying that in. And yeah, listen, I I think maybe the best Fast and the Furious universe movie of the past couple of years has been Hobbs and Shaw. I, I had a lot of fun with it. Like, did, I, did I think it was a top 10 movie of the year kind of film? No, but it was certainly a lot of fun. And even though I like Fast and Furious 8, I know a bunch of people don't, but I like Fast and Furious 8. It, not as much as previous ones. I think out of Fast 8, Fast 9, Hobbs and Shaw, I think Hobbs and Shaw is easily the, the best one of that group. I had a good time with it. And you know what? For a spinoff movie... It had some pretty decent success. It made over seven hundred million yeah. of dollars at the box office, which for those of you keeping score at home is twice as much as black Adam made. So, I mean, it's, it was pretty successful, especially for a spinoff, a fast and furious movie without Vin Diesel or anything like that. And it did quite well. I love the chemistry of Jason Statham and Dwayne, the rock Johnson together, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Now, we did touch on this before. We talked about this a little bit about a month or two ago, but I want to go back and take you back right now to a comment made by the producer of uh, Hobbs & Shaw, Kelly McCormick, who when asked about the status of Hobbs & Shaw 2, said this, we would love to make a Hobbs & Shaw 2. There's no conversations at this time though. I do feel like there were a lot of seeds planted in the original to try to create a spinoff in a way that included a Kevin Hart and a Ryan Reynolds and sort of all kinds of stuff. And that was intentional, but not necessarily because we had plans in mind, just because it would be fun to have different players for them to play, to play with, if anybody, or we wanted to go for it in a different way. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, Dwayne, that's Dwayne Johnson's, a really busy guy, and you know, he would be the one to motivate all of that. So, you know, we're ready if he wants to, and until then, he's just dominating, so all power to him. So, Basically, what that comment means is that it's a very valid question to say, hey, do you think maybe the studio is waiting to see how Fast 10 does? Or do you think maybe the studio was apprehensive about the financial results of Hobbs and Shaw? Well, first of all, they had to interpret the financial results of the first Hobbs and Shaw as a win. Making over $700 million as a spinoff in your first one, that's a win. So that can't be it. I also don't think they're waiting around to see what the financial results of Fast 10 are, because, again, that's going to be a different cast than the cast that ends up being in a Hobbs and Shaw 2. Kelly makes it very clear. There's only one thing holding this up. Mm -hmm. Dwayne Johnson. If he wants to do it, they do it. And if he doesn't want to do it, they don't do it. And it seems to me Dwayne Johnson doesn't want to do it. And I don't know if it's a matter of, I, I don't know, him and Jason Statham seem to get along great. I saw them together a number of times and they seem to get along great. But maybe it's just a matter of Dwayne just being so over all the drama with Fast 10. Like maybe, or, or Fast and the Furious franchise in general with the, the drama and the beef between him and Vin Diesel, which looked like it was really hot for a while. Then it looked like it got quashed and then it suddenly seemed like it got hot again. I don't know. Not to mention... Even with the stumble of Black Adam, Dwayne Johnson is still Dwayne Johnson, hmm. right. which means it's not like he's sitting around going, man, I got nothing to do. He's got, he's got piles of correspondence from every producer, writer, and studio in the world with 50 different projects they're offering him. And I think if he's like, do I want to go back into the world of Fast and Furious for you know three and a half months? Or do I want to try a bunch of other different things? Because some of his dance card is cleared up now since he's not going to be Black Adam anymore. But uh, I, I think this is all Dwayne, and I'll be honest with you, Rob, I just don't think Dwayne wants to do it. I would like to see Sequel. I am on. I would like to see him in this role again. I love him as Hobbs, but I think it's up to him, and I don't think he wants to do it. So I don't think we're going to get a Hobbs and Shaw 2. What do you think?
1: I think you're right. And I think ultimately, at the end of the day, this is still Vin Diesel's franchise. I'm, was he a producer on Hobbs and Shaw? He I'm probably, sure his name would have to be yeah. in there somewhere. I would think that, I think what Dwayne Johnson is looking for is his own ongoing franchise. And if you look at the kind of movies he's made, you know, maybe there'll be a Jungle Book 2 or something uh. like that. I think that Dwayne Johnson is interested in building, and more power to him, the brand of Dwayne Johnson. And the problem is, you know, he came into the Fast and Furious franchise in the Citizen Kane of that mo- of that franchise, which was Fast Five. Which it is. It's the Citizen Kane of the Fast Five or the the Fast and the Furious franchise. Fast Five is a masterpiece as far as it goes, and I understand that. But but it's not his. He stepped into somebody else's franchise. And as much money as that movie made, and as much success as that film had, it again, I think Dwayne Johnson is in the Dwayne Johnson business where he frontlines everything he does, and rightfully so. He's earned it. And you know, well, whereas Hobbs and Shaw was a, 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 I think, a money making spinoff. And I, a really well-done, fun movie, a fun action romp, as it were. I do think that we, want, we are not going to see him come back, unless somehow they convince him, and I don't think they will, to come back in the last, they're saying that Fast 10-2, 10.5, yeah. Fast 11, whatever fast they're going to call it. Fast 10, Part 2, yeah, Chapter fast, 1. <laughs> it's whatever it's going to be called, maybe he'll show up, you know, but I doubt it.
2: Weirdly enough, Vin Diesel is not credited on IMDb with producing Hobbs and Shaw.
0: Okay, so I wouldn't be, you know what? That's weird. I wouldn't doubt if Dwayne Johnson moved heaven and earth to make sure his name was taken off. Yeah. C- under- to like, you know understand what he their got, relationship was. Be,
2: there was some sort of deal cuz there's no way that Vin Diesel would ha- there, there's no way.
0: No, he he probably they probably just didn't make it credited, but he probably yeah. got a little cut of something So Yeah, quarters. he wanted Yeah.
1: And I'm sure as long as he gets paid, he doesn't care. I,
0: I don't know. Like, Aaron, out of everybody in this room, I mean, um, you are the one person in this room who has worked. Well, almost worked with. Uh, no, you did work with with Vin Diesel.
2: I did. That's yeah. right. He even talked about me on The Tonight Show. Um, he did. So oh.
0: I, I don't know. With Dwayne The Rock Johnson, do you think. There could be a Hobbs and Shaw, too. Do you think that that's just a bridge that's so burned that he doesn't even want to go anywhere near it anymore? I, I don't know. What do you think?
2: You know, I, I really want there to be the bromance between these two superpowers. Uh, I I really think that they have more in common than they have uh, different. And I wish that they could come together because, man, the Forces between I mean, to, for these two to join forces, it's just an incredible thing to watch. Um, but sadly, it doesn't look like it's going to go that way. I think that you bring up a real, you know, Rob brings up a really good point, which is that Vin uh, Vin Diesel he has his franchise. I mean, he he doesn't ever have to do anything ever again. That is cemented in stone. It's done. And for The Rock, as much as he is a mega power, a superpower, and he can absolutely, he absolutely has the power to be able to get movies greenlit and not, um, he doesn't have his Fast and the Furious. He doesn't have his franchise. And so continuing to be a secondary player, even as a producer, which Dwayne Johnson is a producer on Hobbs and Shaw, credited on IMDb, even as a producer on that It's not his baby. It will be forever linked to Vin Diesel. And so maybe he's just saying, you know what? I don't want to continue being a secondary character in someone else's story. I want to be my own storyteller. And he has the ability to do that. So I wish him all the luck. And, um, and yes, Vin Diesel is an awesome human.
0: Uh, I, I, come on. I cannot be the only one. when ever, You guys kept saying the phrase mega powers. I cannot be the only Megatron. one that was thinking this. Jonathan, bring up my screen. Uh, I cannot oh, be the only gotcha. one in the world that, that was... Uh, that, <laughs> oh, no. Come on, that's
2: what I'm talking about. Come on, this I'm is the not the, I cannot mean. be
0: the only one that when you guys were saying Dude. mega powers that this wasn't so the image that came into your I'm head. I'm going to need on.
2: Ray to do like a Vin <laughs> Diesel and a Dwayne Johnson uh, you know, face swap on that. <laughs>
0: I mean, it just had to. All right, guys, question is for you. Maybe what do you think about this? Do you think Dwayne The Rock Johnson will ultimately decide to do... A Hobbs and Shaw, too. It sounds like the ball is completely in his court about whether or not to do it or not. Do you think maybe, yeah, listen, he's just busy right now. Maybe he's licking his massive, massive gun wounds over, you know, maybe some of the Black Adam stuff. Uh, Maybe he's got like a thousand other projects he can do. He's still one of the biggest movie stars in the world. Or do you think he's like, now, man, I've had enough of that. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, Let's move on to main topic number
2: two, shall we? Aaron, what is our second main topic today? Our second main topic comes to us from Levi. Hi, John. I've started seeing stories of The Last of Us episode three being review bombed online due to a lot of homophobic people out there who don't like the fact that the episode centers around two gay characters. I find this just disgusting. This episode was amazing, and characters being gay shouldn't diminish how people see a story. How can review sites help to combat how to help to combat this sort of reasoning and not allow these reviews to count? Your thoughts?
0: All right, Levi. Thanks a lot for saying that in. And yeah, look, review bombing is and has been a a big issue for the online world for a while. And it's not surprising, of course, that The Last of Us, Episode 3, despite the fact it's one of the single greatest episodes of television I've seen in years, um, that it would, you could predict, it's like the weather, man, it it was going to come. The review bombing would come. Now, I, I think it would be good for us, before we get into the specifics here, I actually did a standalone editorial a couple of weeks ago on the topic of review bombing and instead of just repeating a lot of what's in there if you don't mind if you don't dodge for those of you who have not seen this already uh let's take a second and take a look at this uh we a video i did about review bombing and then we'll get into how it applies to this situation here take it away Review bombing, the proud exercise of taking the digital democratization of review platforms meant to be a place to express an individual's thoughts on the creative merits of movies and TV shows and instead weaponizing them to bring personal political biases and agendas to bear. So what is review bombing and what is it not? How did we get here and how are online platforms like Rotten Tomatoes trying to fight it? Hey guys, my name is John Campia. I'm the host of the John Campia Show, a Daily two hour live stream talking about movies, movie news, TV, and streaming. Come on by and join us sometime. Movies and TV shows being review bombed refers to the practice of a person or group of people coordinating to post negative reviews of a movie or show, usually due to a political or personal agenda. This phenomenon has become increasingly common in recent years, particularly with the rise of social media and the ease of access to review platforms such as Rotten Tomatoes and even IMDb. Now, I think it's very important to stress right up front what review bombing is not. Watching a movie or TV show and just finding it that it didn't work for you. Maybe it was a comedy that you didn't find funny or a thriller that didn't thrill you, a drama whose story didn't make any sense. Whatever the reason, it just didn't give you a great experience watching it. And you go and give a negative review as a result, that is not review bombing. Being able to be critical of the quality of the art we watch is every bit as important to the fan experience as praising the quality of the art that we watch. We watch something we like, we celebrate it. We watch something we don't like, we criticize it, and then we move on. But when negative, often scathing reviews are given to a movie or a show before that movie or show has even come out... Or when the motivation of a negative review isn't based on creative merit, but rather the show or movie not aligning with that individual's political or cultural beliefs, that is review bombing. At its core, review bombing is an act of retaliation designed to hurt or harm individuals or projects or studios. What they're retaliating against can vary. Perhaps the movie has a social theme that the reviewer rejects. Perhaps the movie portrays women or minorities outside of the roles that person feels they should be limited to. Sometimes it's in retaliation against something an actor or director has said or done outside of the movie that that person takes offense to. Or, several other factors. Either way, review bombers take to review platforms not to give their perspectives on the creative merits of a film, like they're meant for, but rather to bludgeon a project for their own personal agendas and gripes. For example, I remember the very first example of review bombing I ever came across was back when Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight came out. Now the movie is unquestionably one of the greatest comic book movies of all time, no question. Well, at the time though, The Godfather was the number one ranked film of all time on IMDb. Dark Knight fans decided they wanted the Batman movie to be number one, so instead of just voting positively for the Dark Knight, a slew of fans organized to collectively downvote or give one star reviews to The Godfather in order to bring it down. This is classic review bombing in the sense that the downvotes had nothing to do with the creative merits of The Godfather, but rather more. To do with their other agenda. Side note, as of this recording, Shawshank Redemption is the number one ranked film of all time on IMDb, The Godfather is number two, The Dark Knight is number three. A good example of retaliation review bombing happened when the Adam Wingard 2021 film Godzilla vs Kong came out. A large number of people started attacking the movie, but not because they didn't think it was good, but rather for another reason that good entertainment website CBR wrote about in 2022, saying... Last year, fans of Justice League director Zack Snyder took to review bombing Adam Wingard's Godzilla vs. Kong, seemingly in an effort to get Warner Brothers pictures attention as a part of the hashtag RestoreTheSnyderverse movement. Godzilla vs. Kong premiered simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max on March 31st, 2021, just two weeks after Zack Snyder's Justice League premiered exclusively on HBO Max on March 18th of 2021. Seemingly viewing the kaiju film's close proximity as a threat, Snyder fans began to bombard Godzilla vs. Kong with one-star reviews on IMDb, which were often accompanied by the hashtag Restore the An example of culture war agenda review bombing came in the form of organized Facebook group called Downward. With Disney's treatment for franchises and its fanboys. Yes, that was the group's actual name. Obviously, a lot of sharp thinkers in that little cabal. The group took credit for organizing a coordinated social media attack of Star Wars actress Kelly Marie Tran, which led to her leaving social media. In a post titled, I Drove Kelly Marie Tran Off Social Media, I Loved Every Minute of It, the group's organizers wrote the following to their members Now go out there and fight for Legends Restoration. Go out there and reverse this forced diversity. Go out there and show them what real Star Wars fans look like. Bring back the straight white male hero. The group later went on to organize an event called Give Black Panther a Rotten Audience Score on Rotten Tomatoes, scheduled for the day before Black Panther was even released. For a movie they had not seen yet, they were organizing a review event. Outstanding. Now, side note, shortly afterwards, Facebook removed the group from their platform, and I just can't imagine why. Now, to be clear, movies and TV shows aren't the only recipients of review bombing. The video game industry has seen it share as well. One of the more notable examples of review bombing in recent years occurred in 2018 when the video game Firewatch was targeted by a group of users who were unhappy with the game's developer, Campo Santo, for filing a copyright claim against massively popular YouTuber, PewDiePie. The negative reviews flooded in, causing the game's rating on Steam to drop significantly. Now, occurrences like these motivated the online platforms to start to take steps to try to curb the effects of review bombing. And while there is no perfect foolproof system to fight review bombing, in the case of Steam, the prominent video game digital distribution service, they came up with a rather great system. For a user to leave a review on a game in Steam, the user must actually own the game. Crazy, right? Now, on top of that, to give review readers context of the user reviews they're reading, Steam includes the number of hours the reviewer has actually played the game. That way, the reader can see how much of the game this reviewer actually played. A review given by somebody who's only played the game like 10 minutes won't be given as much seriousness as, say, somebody who left a review who played the game like five hours. In the world of movies, Ron. Tomatoes decided to take a couple of major steps in updating their user-submitted review policies, after a noticeable unfortunate uptick in review bombing was starting to happen, often before the movies even came out in theaters, like in the case of Captain Marvel. Rotten Tomatoes started with the common sense step of taking away the ability of users to comment on a movie before the movie had actually opened in theaters. Imagine that. And then they implemented a system where a user would be asked to verify that they had actually seen the movie. This verification was done on their site for people who bought their movie tickets through Fandango, AMC, Regal, and Cinemark, and some other participating sites. This resulted in what they called verified audience ratings for their audience scores. Now, obviously, the review bombers cried foul when Rotten Tomatoes did this claiming it was an act of censorship. But as one Rotten Tomatoes rep said in reply to the censorship accusation, not at all. We'd love to hear your thoughts on a movie. We just, you know, want you to have seen the movie before you tell us your thoughts on it. I'd suggest that any platform that accepts user reviews without any sort of system in place to try to verify that a submitter has actually seen the movie in question or played the game that they're reviewing, then that platform's user reviews are completely useless and should just be be ignored. It's why on my show, I never reference or even acknowledge IMDB user ratings, because I just have no idea if the people voting have actually seen the movie they're talking about or not, which is why the steps being taken by Rotten Tomatoes and others are so important. These steps have made it more difficult for review bombers, and as long as people have agendas and gripes and grievances, the battle will go on. But as long as platforms like Rotten Tomatoes and Steam continue to try to innovate ways to keep review bombers in check, then hopefully Hope remains that movie fans can read and engage with their fellow fans' reviews, trusting that regardless if they're positive or negative, they'll at least be legitimate. So what do you guys think? What more can be done by these sites to try to curb the rise of review bombing? Do you think they can ever actually get rid of it? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down into the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. That'll do it for this video, guys. Thanks a lot for joining us. My name's John Campia, and until next time, bye-bye we're not going anywhere so here so (laughs) so here's where this all ties into to this thing a number of uh, a number of sites have reported that with the last of us episode three a much higher all of a sudden this flood of spiked of one star reviews came flooding into imdb now of course imdb is one of those sites that we just referenced that have no way to verify whether people have actually seen the show or not can go in there and drop in reviews now Like we mentioned in the video, not all negative reviews are review bombing. I stayed up about 45 minutes to an hour last night reading through a lot of these one-star reviews that people left for Last of Us 3, episode 3. And there are a number of them that are legit people just saying, I did not like this episode. Mm -hmm. Just saying, listen, you know, I read through their reviews and they're like, hey, A a number of people are just like, I found it too slow. I'm looking for exploding zombie action okay, well, you don't really understand The Last of Us then, but that's fine. That's fine. Some people just thought that it was a little bit too much of a sidestep from the mainline story, and it took them out of it. Totally legitimate. I mean, I don't agree, but it's totally legitimate. So it's got to be pointed out here that a lot, a number of the one-star reviews that came flooding in were just honest reviews of people saying, I didn't like it because the creative merits of the episode didn't work for me. But- Oh my God. I felt like I had to take a shower after reading a lot of the reviews because they don't even hide it. They're just straight up gay people. scare me. Oh, Here comes the gays. Whatever shall we do? And they like fleeing for the hills <laughs> and oh, it should, and they just, and that, that is review bombing. Here's a couple of examples uh, just, this is just a couple I pulled out here of, of the ones that we had. So for example, here we go. Bring it. Bring this up to Jonathan. Uh, this is just a couple of the reviews I pulled out. It's really sad. I mean, the title of the review is When Sponsors Have an Agenda. You get this kind of episode. It's really sad to see how the LGBTQ propaganda is truly being pushed down our throats. Sounds like he wants something down his throat. Anyway, Whoa. seriously. Oh, oh. Shots fired. It's, it's Shot not as if... Um, uh, Half of mankind is gay. I bet not even 1% of humanity is gay. Actually, scientifically, that's completely wrong. But hey, scientific facts have never really mattered to these people. Uh, so why are these minorities forcing the rest of us to endure oh this unnatural act? I don't understand it. I bet there's a lot you don't understand. Um, and by the way, quick side note. The, the, the irony here, whenever I hear people using the term agenda, you're the fucking one with the agenda our world has a lot of different types of people and our stories are going to reflect that. When you're the one who says, keep certain people out, you're the one with the agenda.
1: Keep them out, baby. <laughs>
0: there is and has been in Hollywood for a very, very long time a very active, aggressive, petrified, fear-filled agenda of exclusion. This agenda of exclusion has been around for a long time and the fact that some of these troglodytes are now seeing this agenda starting to be taken down, scares the shit out of them. They don't know who they are because they, they're not, you know, like I said before, they're not real men. They're, they don't know who they are because they're so insecure that as soon as they see this agenda starting to be taken down, it scares the living shit out of them because they have no self-worth. They have no self-security. They have no real identity. And they're just big babies at any rate. So the agenda is on that side. Uh, Then they go on over here. Bad surprise, they say. Uh, After this amazing action scene on the second episode, I got really excited to follow up the show. But unfortunately, episode three was a cold uh, water bucket. That sounds fine so far. Let's keep reading. While I expected shots, zombies exploding, blood and madness, a poor duck episode stopped with a gay scene. (laughs) It's like, okay, well, we know where your problem came from. Another one is... Wake up! It's an apocalypse story. Shame on you! Watching the two first episodes, I was hoping to post. Uh, I was hoping a post-apocalyptic masterpiece. Knowing that the game is cool, but I'm still a fan of the Resident Evil franchise. After the third episode, I was lost. What is happening here? Watching with family. I was watching with my family, and especially what? my two children. My, t- <laughs> you're watching The Last of Us with your children. You're what a bad parent. What the fuck is wrong with you? You're just not anyway. A good <laughs> Uh, with my children, was wondering, and a big mistake that I've made. What is that? I think uh, the writer's very confused. And I hit on the head. Uh, this is a show that narrates a post-apocalyptic world with zombies and monsters and whatever you call it. If you want to make a love story about two guys, then go look elsewhere. Sorry, I quit and go back to the Walking Dead series. Uh, first of all, so you're you're cool with with episode two, Joel literally taking a man, pinning him to the ground, and beating him to death. By punching him in the face over again. In you're
1: front of a teenager.
0: In age. front of a in front of a kid. You're and totally The okay.
2: kid then literally cutting open somebody's face and right. then stabbing them in the eye with a knife. And then if
0: you watch the game, you you're totally cool sneaking up behind people, slitting their throats with a knife. That, that's all cool. I sit down and I watch that with my children. But two people in love? I can, ah, ah, run. Anyway. this all comes back to the idea of review bombing. Remember we said in the video that the thing about review bombing is when you're submitting a review that is not based on the creative merit of a thing. When you make it clear and obvious that your problem with something is that it doesn't jive with your political agenda. We don't think we should acknowledge that gay people exist and you make it clear. That's clearly a review bomb. Again, there were a number of one star rated reviews on this episode that were perfectly legit. Perfectly legit. I didn't like the pacing of it. I really want to stay more with Ellie and Joel. Uh, Like a lot of that type of different stuff. And all that is perfectly legit. You want to give it a one, two, three star review based on that? That is not review bombing. And we should not lump those people in with these others. However, when we have a whole shit ton, like just these couple of examples who make it very clear, gay equals bad. Well, that's review bombing. And unfortunately, there's nothing that a place like IMDb can do so like, and the problem with Rotten Tomatoes as well is that they have this great system in place for verifying that people have seen movies. They don't have any system in place to verify people have seen TV shows. They just let anybody go in there, whether they've seen the show or not, go in and drop a thing. And so, you know, it's, it's always going to be a problem. And that's why it's going to be important for users and viewers like you and me who go in and read user reviews to use a little bit of discernment. I read these things and I go, as soon as the guy starts saying, they stopped everything for gay. Okay, now I know I don't need to listen to you. But somebody else leaves a negative review talking about the pacing, talking about where they're putting the attention of the story. Hey, I may not agree with you, but I can now listen to what it is you're saying. And that's where it's important for all of us as fans. Anyway, with that whole big intro, I know we've stayed on this topic far too long, uh, but that's part of the reality of it. So Anyway, guys, question is, what do you guys think about this? Whatever your thoughts are, Jump down into the comments section below. Let us know what can be done about TV show review bombing. You can't exactly verify it like you can with movies. Whatever you guys think, leave your thoughts below. All right, guys. With that down, long, uh, drawn-out topic. Thanks, uh, intro video. Uh, let's move on to main topic number three, shall we? Aaron. What is our third
2: main topic today? This topic comes to us from TJ. Hi, John and crew. 2022 was quite the surprise in terms of billion-dollar films. Looking at you, Top Gun 2. And it looks like 2023 for films this year is pretty stacked. And also with some potential billion-dollar films this year, like Garden Guardians 3, The Little Mermaid, maybe even Mario Brothers. Hey, Ray. Uh, <laughs> <let's do it. laughs> how you guys did it last year. I'm curious to know which films this year you see entering into the billion dollar club. Thanks and bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a
0: lot for sending that in. And yeah, I said we would do it. And I, I guess today's the day. We look ahead now, coming out of this is truly like 2022 was kind of a post pandemic year, but we were still, like we said all year, you were still living in the effects of the pandemic, right? We said that all year. We said at the beginning of the year that the pandemic may, for the most part, be behind us. We were still living very much within the effects of the pandemic. 2023 is going to be the first truly post-pandemic year where we're going to see. And the very fact that certain numbers of movie trailers are coming to Super Bowl is definitely an indication of that. But we'll get to that in a second. So which movies this year have a real chance of joining that exclusive billion-dollar club? Well, I've broken it down into a couple of different movies here. First, I'm going to start with the ones that have the outside, uh, oot side, uh, the outside Outside. chance. Okay. That's good. So these ones I say have an outside chance across the universe. Uh, that's that's the uh, Spider Man movie, right? Um, yes, the Spider Man across the universe. I think this one has an outside shot. Now, look, the first one, Taylor, if you can look this up for me, how much money uh, Spider Man into the Spider Verse made? I think it was in the three to four hundred million dollar range. But that's a movie that, quite frankly, didn't look very good to be, I didn't think it looked very good. And now it's one of my favorite, one of my all-time favorite animated films. I mean, I think that movie is a, just masterful. I love it. Can't wait for the second. What did it make? Uh, $375 million. It's three seventy-five. So, listen, it really caught on in popularity. I think a lot of people are going to be looking forward to it. I don't think it will, but I'll listen in the outside chance. Outside chance. Uh, next one up that I think has an outside chance oppenheimer oh yeah it's a it is a christopher nolan film people are going to be excited about it Uh, i think the trailers have been terrific nolan has billion dollar films in his repertoire do i think this is going to be one probably not but again i will say an outside shot next one hunger games snakes and foils and shoots and ladders Or Songbirds and Snakes is what it's called. I still prefer Hunger Games, Shoots and Ladders. But yeah, Songbirds and Snakes, Hunger Games. Listen, I can't imagine it making a billion dollars. But listen, don't underestimate. I remember when I saw the view numbers come up of when they put that first little teaser, just that stupid little title teaser that came out. The view numbers on that were insane. So I'm going to try to not underestimate it too much. I still don't think it'll actually get there. But I got to at least say it has an outside chance. Okay, those are the three films that I think have an outside chance. Let's go on to things that I think will get close. So I don't necessarily, I wouldn't put money on these getting into the billion dollar club, but it's going to be close. I'll start with the Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Listen, if it wasn't for the fact that we saw the Transformers franchise take a massive dip in the amount of money they were making because audiences caught on. Oh, wait, turns out these movies suck. Bumblebee did a little bit of rebuilding there. I, I, Bumblebee was a really, really good movie. And it's a little bit of rebuilding there. I think there's going to be some excitement about Rise of the Beasts. It is a big visual effects spectacle. It is still the Transformers. It has had films in the franchise that have made been in the Billion Dollar Club. So I, while I wouldn't necessarily put money on it getting into the Billion Dollar Club, I think it's got a shot. It's going to be close. Next up, the Marvels. I don't, again, I don't think it'll be a billion dollar film, but it'll get close and I won't be shocked if it does. The first Captain Marvel movie did get into the billion dollar club, not by a lot, but it did. Ms. Marvel was fantastic, but not highly viewed. It wasn't one of the higher viewed shows. So put all that together. I could see this thing getting north of 900 million and maybe even getting into that billion dollar club. I will not call it a cinch, but I'll say it'll get close. Next one up. Aquaman 2. The first Aquaman film surprised a lot of people and it made it into the billion dollar club. I was one of those people that I always thought it would be a big hit, be a big financial hit, but I didn't see it clear in 800 million and it got into the billion dollar club. So you've got to, at the very minimum, I know Rob is definitely going to put this in his, will make the billion dollar list, but I I'm going to say it'll get close. I won't be surprised if it does, but I'm going to say this is one of those ones that's going to get close. Next up on the we'll get close list, Dune 2. Uh, look, there's a lot of asterisks to be put around the financial box office results of the first Dune movie. Obviously, pandemic era, HBO simultaneous uh, launch. Thanks so much, Jason Kalar, you idiot. Uh, a lot of things hurt it. Won more Academy Awards than any other film. Didn't win Best Picture, but it did win more Academy Awards than any other film. I think they're going to mount a real strong marketing campaign for this thing. It's going to make a hell of a lot more money than the first Doom did. But will it get into the billion-dollar club? Again, I'm going to say it's going to get close. Won't be surprised if it does. But I'm going to peg it just falling a little bit short, but we'll see. Next up, Ant-Man 3. Um, again, none of the Ant-Man films have traditionally done super great. We're talking in the six to $700 million range. Now, this one, uh, we're bringing in Kang. It's going to be a very significant, probably the most significant any of the Ant Man films have been. So, yeah, but we're also kind of on a a streak right now of Marvel films that have not made the Billion Dollar Club. Doctor Strange certainly got close. Then we saw a little bit of a tailing off with uh, Thor, Love, and Thunder. I see this one making a lot of money, probably even the highest box office any Ant Man has done. Won't be surprised if it gets a billion dollars, but I think it's going to fall just short. Okay. That leads us into the list that I will call will make it, and the first one I think will make it, Guardians Three. I I, I just think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. I think this one will hit the one point one to one point three billion dollar range. I think this is what this is a franchise and a group of characters people love, especially coming off of the holiday special, which was so much better than it had any business being. Um, so I think Guardians Three will get into the billion dollar club. All right. Some people may disagree with this, but I think it is what it is. Fast 10. Mm. Uh, Fast 10 is going to make it into the Billion Dollar Club. I mean, we we are on a streak of Fast and Furious movies that have joined the Billion Dollar Club. Billi- uh, Fast 9 did not. Taylor, look up the box office numbers.
2: 726,229. Million,
0: million? Million. Yeah. So, I mean, given the fact that it was still very much around the pandemic era kind of a film's uh, and the fact that it was absolute dog crap, and yet it still made over $700 million. I think there's going to be a lot of excitement leading into Fast 10, so I do think Fast 10 is going to be in the Billion Dollar Club. All right, next up, Little Mermaid's going to join the Billion Dollar Club. Yeah, don't underestimate this. No, no We can't handle it. We're going to be angry. Oh, no. oh, yes. Oh, yes, there are going to be so many angry, whiny little baby boys out there when it does. But Little Mermaid... Mm. You already know people are drafting their uh, uh, Disney is faking the box office numbers uh, responses and social media posts. This movie's going to make a billion dollars. Now, of course, every movie on this list is contingent upon the reviews.
1: It has to be good.
0: Yeah, it ha- that's the thing. It's got to be good. We're making the assumption, just going into all these, that it'll at least be good. Maybe it'll be terrible. That'll hurt it. Maybe it'll be fantastic and that'll help it. But we're talking about the median line. As long as we don't hear that this movie is really, really bad. Um, I think I've talked to so many average film goers, like people in my social circles who are not hardcore movie fans. Oh, they know there's a little mermaid coming though. There's a lot of people really excited about little mermaid. I'm not one of them, but a lot of people are take my, believe me, little mermaids getting in the billion dollar club. I believe Look at this. stuff. All right. Mission <laughs> impossible, uh, dead reckoning part one, chapter five. Subsection (laughs) 7. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Listen, coming off of... Who's going to bet against Tom Cruise right now? Anybody in here? Ray. Yeah, other than Ray? (laughs) Anybody? Anybody want to be in the doubting Tom Cruise business right now? Coming off of Top Gun's $1.4 billion performance at the box office. And this looks spectacular. Again, it may be a slow crawl to the billion-dollar mark. Top Gun just it just got just kept having legs kept having legs kept having legs i don't think this movie's going to open with a 300 million dollar opening or anything like that but i think it's going to have the legs and if it's the same quality that we've gotten from the previous installments this is one that's going to get there all right next up we've got indiana jones this is a franchise everybody wants to be good people want to see this they want it to be good and in the hands of james mangold i have no doubt it will be They saw what happened with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. They've had their punch in the mouth. They understand what does not work with this. They understand now because of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, you can't just put out any shit and put the name Indiana Jones on it and it's just going to work.
1: Well, you can't say it's just made for kids. What's that? This is made for kids. That's what they said with, Uh, with Crystal Skull.
0: Right. Yeah. And you cannot do that. And they, I think they learned a lot of lessons. They took a lot of time. And even though it's unfortunate that Steven Spielberg's not directing this, you got one of the best directors, one of the other best directors in the world right now, and James Mangold directing this thing, I believe, again, it's got to be good, but uh, I have no reason to believe that it won't be. I think Indiana Jones, I, I said before I didn't think it would get into the Billion Dollar Club, but you know what? The more I think about it, I think maybe it will. And then there's this one that I have done a complete 180 on. Because I didn't think before that this movie would get into the billion dollar club. And with the amount of people I've been talking to and with the huge response I've been seeing going on at Universal Studios Hollywood right now. I'm now starting to believe that this movie is going to be the number one movie of the year. Again, I I reserve the right to change my mind on that once we get some information, and we see it. But um, Mario Bros., Ray likes that. (laughs) I, with the number of people I've been talking to lately and again, the lineups and the, just when they were opening preview dates for super Mario world, Nintendo world at universal studios, Hollywood, and that they booked in literally seconds, by the way, Ann and I are going tomorrow. We're going to go see this Mario land world at over there. And then talking to a lot of people, a lot of, again, average moviegoers who are like, oh, we can't wait for this Mario movie. We can't wait for this Mario movie. We can't wait for this. I'm like, really? So I have had to go from, I think it'll be a big hit, but I don't think it'll be a billion dollar film to, I think it's going to be a billion dollar film. And I think it has a chance of being like a 1.5. I think it could be the number one film of the year. Do, do we know what the last Nintendo film was? Nintendo's theaters? never done a film
1: nintendo's never done a film that well I
2: mean, there you have was the a super mario, the, mario well, yeah, mean, the yeah. with with bob actual. hoskins that made yeah. 20 million dollars worldwide yep you go back you have Here's to go all cookie. the way back to that but that kind
0: of scared <laughs> nintendo off from ever letting their stuff be made into movies and and here we are so uh again my list will consist of outside chance films uh spider-man across the universe Across the Spider-Verse, I should say, Uh, Oppenheimer, Hunger Games, Snakes and Ladders Uh, will get close. Transformers Rise of the Beast, The Marvel's Aquaman 2, Dune 2, Ant-Man 3. Again, I won't be surprised if any of these make it into the Billion Dollar Club. I'm going to guess a little bit short, but it's going to be really tight. And the ones I think will make it, Guardians 3, Fast 10, The Little Mermaid, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part Part 1, Chapter 5, Subsection 7. Indiana Jones is going to be a Billion Dollar Club film, and... Mario Brothers. So that's what I got up in here for this. Rob, I, I've got a bunch of films. I think which films to you are going to be billion-dollar films? Well,
1: here, here they are in order of release, and they're almost exactly the same as, as yours except one. I have Super Mario Brothers, Fast X. I,
0: I, I'm, I actually didn't think you'd put Super Mario in there. I'm glad well, you, you did.
1: No, I mean, we were talk- Ray and I were talking about it earlier, but I think Super Mario Brothers worldwide is going to be huge if it's again the caveat here is if they're if good, it, if yeah.
0: we're good as long as they're not guarded. i mean everything
1: yeah. we've seen from super mario brothers looks delightful so to me it's and these are all in order of release so super mario brothers fast x little mermaid guardians of the galaxy indiana jones mission impossible and i do believe that once again aquaman is going to be a billion dollar grocer that said if it's good yeah that, that's for, for all of them because you know i have to say that that I, you and I saw Aquaman together, and I was quite delighted by it. But even I was surprised that it went to a billion dollars. But the fact that I think it everybody did— everybody was. Yeah, but it was so—I mean, look, dude, with, with underwater denizens riding armored sharks and seahorses and fighting, I'm like, I've waited my whole life to see this. And if we get something that's comparable—and I don't think James Wan's going to let us down. He had to plus what he did, right? and and Aquaman's wearing that badass blue outfit that harks back to when he had the blue and white outfit in the comics. I'm like, I think this stuff is going to I think there is a reason why if they make another Aquaman movie in the post-gunverse. It's because Jason Momoa knocked it out of the park. So <laughs> and and we already they already know if he did. So I think it's going to make a billion bucks.
0: Are there any I, I had on this list that, that you think could be sleepers that could that you wouldn't necessarily put on your list but but could have a chance to, right there on the cusp maybe? I don't
1: think so because, look, I mean, to me, Mission Impossible is iffy, but I do think that because of where Tom Cruise is at because of Maverick, I think, and, and the, the rest of the franchise, they just keep getting better and better and better. I, I think Mission Impossible is going to make it even though I thought it was iffy. I don't think, look... As much as I love Christopher Nolan, I don't think something like Oppenheimer has a chance because it's still a historical epic. Yes, that's and why I, I didn't have it on there too. I, and I think it's going to make money because everyone thought that Dunkirk, people are like, Tch. you know, Warner Brothers is like, okay, we'll let you make your your World War II incident that the British love. And how but much that, did Dunkirk end up making? It made money compared to what it cost. So Dunkirk made
2: that $527 million. Uh, over half
0: a billion
1: dollars.
2: For, a,
0: little, for a World War epic. A World but War II Tenet, epic And Tenet episode.
2: only made three hundred. I mean, I think it depends on how heady he goes. Right. Because you had uh, Inception that made uh, around $800 million, over $800 million. But then Tenet, which was so heady, and people were like, Wah. I mean, even John David Washington was saying that like, he and... Um, What's his face? Batman. Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. We're like, we were shooting the movie. We had no idea what the movie was But you was also got to
0: remember about Tenet. The other big thing was, it wasn't on the outskirts of it. It was released right in the heart of the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. You're
2: right. You're right. You're right. Know, I so forgot so about that. So there's a little bit of yeah, an asterisk that on a that good, one. That was so a good point.
0: We'll see. So let's go over to you here, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's a lot of very exciting movies coming out. By the way, some of the best movies that are coming out this year I don't have it. I don't think I have a chance of making a billion dollars. We're not even talking about. Oh. We're only talking. We're not talking about the great movies. We're talking about the ones that have the potential to make the most money. Which, by the way, we
1: have I, an incredible list of films in general.
0: Oh, just in the next couple of months. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I totally forgot. I can't believe I left this one off. Eighty for Brady. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What, how, what was I thinking? 80 for Brady's gonna make all the money. Okay, That's no. uh, because
1: he's gonna visit now that he has nothing to do. He's gonna come to every every theater playing 80 for yeah, Brady. Yeah, now that he's retired? I'm he's sorry, but it. if Tom
2: Brady does not like do some sort of thing for the he he needs to yeah, he oh, needs he's going to gonna go out and do a film. little promo So promo Out of for the
0: films that we've been talking about, or, or some of them we haven't, Aaron, which wow. ones do you think are going to make a billion dollars this year?
2: Well, I completely agree with you on Little Mermaid. Um, Somebody in the chat asked, well, how much did Lion King make? The last Lion King that came out in 2019 made $1.6 billion worldwide. Little Mermaid, absolutely 100%. It's going to do great. I think, you know, I would have said, because earlier uh, before the show, we were kind of laughing with Ray about the idea that Super Mario's was going to do well, but after hearing you talk about the kind of crossover cross promotion that's being done, that is just an instant way for people to be constantly, constantly reminded about, Hey, this show is airing, you know, excuse me, this movie is currently in theaters. Kids are going to go, they're going to see the big thing. They're going to want their parents to take them to the movies. And then for the Gen Xers out there like me, who cut our teeth on playing super Mario brothers back in the day, (laughs) you know, we're going to be excited and interested to see how this plays out. And Like Rob said, globally, that's where you're really going to see those big numbers come in. Because this is a movie that is going to transcend culture. It's going to transcend age. I think that that's going to be really big. I don't see Hunger Games crossing a billion dollars because none of the other ones did. The most that any other Hunger Games movie made was over $800 which is a lot. That's great. I think it's going to do very, very well. I don't see it joining the billion-dollar club. So I'm glad that you didn't put it on the... For sure, list.
0: Uh, what about there's there's a movie that some people bring up in the live chat that we didn't bring up at all. Barbie. I, I mean, th- there's there's a huge cultural anchor with Barbie. I mean, I wouldn't yeah, put it on those myself. It's more but, of a comedy though. But I mean, comedies can. I mean, it's.
2: I I honestly as I someone who grew up with lots of secondhand Barbies, um, <laughs> like I, I, I'm a big fan of Barbie. Barbie can be problematic in a lot of ways. It really is going to depend on how it's done. I love Margot Robbie. I worked with Margot Robbie. She's a lovely human being, phenomenal actress. Um, I love, obviously, Ryan Gosling. The fact that Ryan Gosling is in this movie as Ken instantly makes me want to watch it. I think it's going to be very funny. I don't see it crossing a billion dollars because I don't think that Barbie has the same relevance that perhaps Barbie did maybe 15, 20 years ago
0: all right guys the question is for you what do you think about all this which films that are coming out this year 2023 have a chance of joining that very exclusive billion dollar club whatever you guys think jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with that down let's move on to main topic number four shall we Aaron. What is our fourth main
2: topic today? Our fourth main topic is from Eric Th- Eric Thomas. Hey, John and crew. Deadline has revealed which movies they are expecting to get a spot at the Super Bowl. Some of the mentions, like Flash and Fast Ten, seem pretty obvious. While others, like Ant Man, the Marvels, and especially Pixar's Elemental, caught me by surprise. Deadline seems to be especially seems to especially expect Disney to come out in force with up to six spots. Do you think this lineup is realistic? Are there some movies missing that you thought would get a spot
0: all right thanks Sarah, for writing that in by the way side note uh, a, a film i meant to put in the uh will come close is the flash i forgot to put the flash in and the will come close it won't make a billion but i think it'll it'll come close it might okay yeah deadline put out an article about the the upcoming super bowl trailers and again every year with the super bowl one of the things people get really excited about is the commercials And it's not as silly as it might sound because a lot of times, not just the movies, but companies put out commercials in the Super Bowl that are sometimes freaking hilarious and really, really good. And of course, it's a good time to drop a trailer at the Super Bowl. Now, this year, a 30-second spot at the Super Bowl costs $7 million. $7 million for a 30-second spot at the Super Bowl this year. So they're going to be a little bit frugal. But as we mentioned a little bit earlier before, I think this is as much of a sign that the movie industry is now moving past the pandemic era because, we're again, we were still living in the effects of it in 2022. And the very fact that we have... I was expecting three or four trailers. According to Deadline, they think minimum we're going to get is 11. And here's what those Super Bowl trailers are. And we can go over to my screen here for this. So the Super Bowl trailers... Now, these are the ones that they're saying for sure are happening, okay? So ones that according to design we're getting for sure are a trailer for the Flash, a trailer for Transformers Rise of the Beasts, Fast 10, Ant-Man 3, Cocaine Bear. Yeah. Cocaine Bear. It's only 15, 15 seconds. Getting a 15 that's all you need. going to get close to a bit. second spot. A little key. <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> Wait, will be well, right before <laughs> the game starts. So it's probably gonna be a little bit cheaper than half the price because it's a 15 second spot. But still, they're actually showing some belief in this Cocaine Mm -hmm. Bear movie. Cocaine, (laughs) baby. And they're giving it a Super Bowl thing. Uh, Guardians 3, Little Mermaid, Pixar's Elemental, which I am very fascinated by, Scream 6, and Dungeons & Dragons. Now, under the maybe list, They've got a number of films that they say these ones could get their trailers put there, but they're not 100% sure. And they're saying the maybe list is the Marvels, Indiana Jones, John Wick, although they're not really confident about the John Wick one, and Creed 3. Um, so those are the maybe. They think at least one of those will be as well, is what they're saying. So we're looking at, if Deadline is to be believed, The Flash, Transformers, Rise of the Beast, Fast 10, Ant-Man 3, Cocaine Bear. 15-second spot, Guardians 3, Little Mermaid, Little Mermaid uh, Elemental, Scream 6, Dungeons and & Dragons, and at least one of the Marvels, Indiana Jones, John Wick, and Creed 3. I don't recall, and I might just not be remembering this right, I don't personally recall ever seeing this many trailers dropping at a Super Bowl. Like, mm-hmm. this is huge. This is like the studio saying it's time to get back into business. Mm-hmm. Um, Warner Brothers usually doesn't drop Super Bowl ads, but they're doing it with The Flash, because according to james gunn they think the flash is one of the greatest comic book movies ever made so they're getting behind it which is why i think it's one of those almost is going to make a billion dollars um, anyway, Rob, you see this? Any surprises to you on this list that we that I've got up here? Anything that you think, <clears throat> man, I'm really surprised that this studio isn't pushing this
1: movie at Super Bowl. I don't know, what do you think? No, because they're all they all seem to be other than like Cocaine Bear, which I think the they must have a really funny like I could just mm-hmm. imagine the bear just taking a big long, like you said, a long pull, long bump on that fatty rail and just be like <laughs> <laughs> You know, <laughs> uh,
2: and yes, then you just... I love it when early aughts Rob comes to town well,
1: well, when you just, the, the, you just do that. And the, 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 the eyes on the bear go ding and it says cocaine bear and you hear the roar. That's that's the trailer.
2: Be honest with us, Rob. No, you no, actually right. played cocaine bear.
1: Oh it's God. you. <laughs> it, it, well, you
2: are cocaine, it's cocaine. You know what they bear. paid me? Yeah, I did. <laughs> like, yeah, I did. It's very <laughs>
1: hard to get non uh, clean drugs yeah. anymore. It's all fentanyl crap. <laughs> exactly. No, but But I think honestly, I think that like you just pointed out, it's really great that the studios are back. And I think that the fact that they're spending this much money, because this is probably the most money ever spent on movie trailers in history. And if you look at the trajectory of the box office last year, it's on an upward trajectory. You're coming off. Top Gun, Maverick, and you're coming off Avatar 2. And then uh, they have a lot of legacy franchises. The Scream, it doesn't surprise me that Scream 6, they probably spent more money on it, New York. Uh, even that's getting, that's a $7 million spend Yeah, on a movie like Scream 6. That means they're For confident. For one spot. For one spot, that means they're damn confident in these movies. And if you look at all these films, they've all got a great shot. I mean, they're all, the Marvels coming off a billion dollar Captain Marvel. You look at um, John Wick. Probably John Wick, I mean, has the fan base now that it didn't have. The first John Wick was a sleeper hit. Now the John Wick franchise is entrenched. Yeah, they've it's slowly gotten bigger and bigger. Big, And if you look at all these things, there's not one of these that it seems to be a, to be a Hail Mary. These are all pretty sure things that they're just shooting off into the stratosphere, sir, I think.
0: When you talk about, like, a movie like Scream 6 is probably going to end up having like a $25 to $30 million marketing campaign. Yeah. To commit like 25% of your entire marketing budget on one 30-second spot, that's
1: ballsy. I mean, to be fair, too, it, 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 it's like, look, when they did the AFC Star Trek Picard spot, right? For mm-hmm. instance, that was a, a. It wasn't the full trailer, but they released the full final trailer on YouTube in tandem with that release. Yeah. So and
0: and all these will be the same thing. Yes. Like just so everybody is clear, none of these are going to play the full two and a half minute trailer because it's it's seven million dollars for thirty seconds. They're going to play a thirty second version of the trailer, and they will all with other than Cocaine Bear, they will all end with full trailer online now. Yes. And so uh, that's the way they're going to have to approach it. Aaron, any surprises here for you? Do you think some of the, like, are you shocked? Like, Scream 6 to me is a big surprise. Again, that because I think that represents a big chunk of what their overall marketing budget is going to be. But are are there anything else that
2: stand out to you here? Well, the thing that, you know, when we talk about being risky with advertising, my degree is actually in advertising. uh, Go UNT. And so, oh, I just got my camera. Um, When we're talking about the, you know, cost per views, the 2022 Super Bowl... Pulled in almost a hundred million viewers, and if you think about where you're going to really put your 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 money, this is so smart on their behalf because they know that not only are they going to get their the views people watch the Super Bowl, there are a lot of people who watch the Super Bowl, not everybody, obviously, so don't jump down my throat when I say this, but there are people who literally just love to watch the Super Bowl for the advertising, yeah, because people are. like me, who are advertising junkies, we know that we can get a big dopamine hit whenever they break to a commercial. I'm, I always love watching the Super Bowl, regardless of who's playing in it, because I know I'm going to get my Budweiser Clydesdales, or my Budweiser Tug at the Heart dog <laughs> Story like I know I'm going to get something, um, you know, from a chip company that's going to make me laugh. I know I'm going to get something really interesting. That um, and so I'm I am a big fan of watching just for to see the advertising. The DeGnan household absolutely will be watching because my husband is a diehard Philadelphia fan. He cried the last time that the Eagles won the Super Bowl, so there'll be tears either way in our house. But when you're thinking about a hundred million sets of eyeballs worldwide even though the Super Bowl is obviously not a global event we understand that it is an American event there are people in a, in a lot of other countries who do watch the show uh, excuse me <laughs> who do watch the Super Bowl whether it's for the advertising or it's for the halftime show which I think this year it's, it's is it Rihanna? Rihanna yeah that's going to draw in a lot of people and then it's going to they're going to immediately like you said John divert eyeballs to the Full times to the full spots, and they've seen what's been happening with the baseball games of planting people in the stands for movies like Smile, and how that kind of uh, that kind of crossover audience can really, you know, pull up their numbers. So I actually think that it's a smart investment. It's a lot of money, but when you think about what you're getting and the number of people that are going to be seeing it and the focused attention. I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's smart for anybody that has the budget and clearly the movie studios are putting their money where their mouth is and, uh, and, and putting their best foot forward.
1: You know what else, John? I, I don't remember them charging this much for 32nd spots. I think this is a record number. Yeah. But I think they also know this is a really great matchup. The game, the Eagles and the chiefs, this promises to be not only is it the Super Bowl but a great football game. Well, yes. I mean,
0: you also got a lot of other drama connected to A bunch of people won't care about this, but Andy Reid, coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, took the Eagles to the Super Bowl, won a lot of division championships with them. He's the Eagles' old coach for a long time. So it's Andy Reid versus his old team. You got two major stars on each team that are brothers. You got the Kelsey brothers, uh, one on the Kansas City Chiefs, who I think might kind of be the sleeper MVP of the league, to be honest with you. I know he's on a team with Mahomes, but Kelsey, I don't know that the Chiefs are nearly as good as they are without Kelsey. And then meanwhile, you got the man's man of his brother, Kelsey, who's on the line over there in Philadelphia. I mean, there's a lot of storylines
1: here. I have a question. All right. Do you think that Tom Brady will make his Fox debut as either a commentator or his on-camera career with Fox Sports? begins at this year's Super Bowl
0: yes because yeah yeah I think it does because there's no there was no reason for him to make the announcement of his his retirement official uh, until after the Super Bowl unless he was thinking about doing something like that because you know who else is on the Fox uh commentary team now not the commentary team but on the on the uh color comment Gronk Right. Gronk is there love. already. I so mean, so people want
1: to see Gronk and Tom I, mean, I think you're gonna see them together. How that's what I was asking. I mean, and by the way, I think they're gonna announce this probably right before the game, so people tune in. The only reason I ask, because I was when I was driving this morning, I was listening to commentary on the on the news about whether or not he was gonna show up because he can. What what a better way? Who knows more about the Super Bowl than Tom Brady? Nobody does. But Tom Brady's been in one fifth
0: of all the Super Bowls that have ever been played in history. I mean, it's just crazy. He holds a record that nobody will ever, nobody will ever win seven Super Bowls. Uh, it's crazy. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this list? There's going to be a lot of movie trailers dropping uh, at the Super Bowl this year. I cannot wait to watch all these things. Which one are you most excited about? Whichever one it is, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, we're going to head in now and start taking our beloved channel members' live comments and questions. If you are one of our beloved channel members, uh, go ahead and look in the community tab of the YouTube channel, and you'll see a post there just for you. Go ahead and drop in your thought, comment, opinion, or question, and we'll go through as many as that we can. Now, before we get to those, we're going to take a quick second here and thank a couple more sponsors of today's video, our friends at Masterclass, and of course, my cell phone service provider, Mint Mobile we want to thank a sponsor of this video, Masterclass. Masterclass offers classes on a wide variety of topics, all taught by world-class instructors at the very top of their fields. Each class is broken out into individual video lessons, usually around 10 minutes long. And Masterclass is completely accessible on your phone, the web, smart TV, and available via audio mode to listen to classes on the go. They have over 2,500 video lessons from over 180 of today's most brilliant minds they're all available anytime anywhere on ios Android, Desktop, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, and Roku. Now, obviously, around here on the John Campus Show, we love our movies, so why not learn filmmaking from Jody Foster or maybe directing from Ron Howard himself or the great Neil Gaiman doing his masterclass on the art of storytelling. And you guys have heard me talk about my favorite masterclass, Business Strategy and Leadership by Big Papa Iger himself, Bob Iger, the new and returning CEO of Disney. So, guys, I I highly recommend that you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class and as a John Campia show listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Just go to masterclass.com/campia now. That's masterclass.com/campia for 15% off masterclass. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of this video Mint Mobile. If saving more and spending less is one of your top goals for 2023, why are you still paying insane amounts of money every month for your phone bill? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save money this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton, with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. Guys, I have told you before that when I was on one of the major phone carriers, I was spending literally three times as much every month and switching to Mint Mobile couldn't have been easier. So for people just looking to save some extra money this year, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and switch easily in just minutes with eSIM. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia (laughs) and thank you to our friends at masterclass at mint mobile for sponsoring this episode of the john campia show all right guys we got a few minutes left here so let's go over and start hearing some questions from our channel members what do we got up here first guys
2: uh, top to bottom bottom. yeah okay alright this comes to us from Adam uh, from Alan Ling Aaron do you do events like New York Comic Con and such if you see yourself doing any kind of panels and events with meet and greets it would be cool to meet you I actually did do uh, New York Comic Con back in I want to say it was t- 2011 um, but yes I, I love doing meet and greets I love meeting people um, if you ever see me out and about um, which does happen from time to time please come up and say hi uh, at least at ev- for the, nothing else, than, at least just to say hi to Joey, because she would, certainly loves to meet people.
0: Well, you know, that's a good segue um, to this, because, you know, I uh, speaking of our channel members, I let our channel members in on a little something on our meet and greet town hall yesterday, or our, our channel member town hall yesterday, um, but you... Uh, Uh, speaking of New York that they they brought up, they just brought up New York. You have a little bit of an announcement to make.
2: Yes. As many of you know, Joey Bishop and baby Tommy are getting a little sister later this year. And so in our quest for being closer to family, Tom and I are going to be making a big move to the other side of the country. So there's a much better chance that I'll be at New York Comic-Con. And so sadly today is Our last day as a regular Regular, guest, as a regular, as a regular guest on the John Campia show. Uh, We will obviously leave the door open to coming back here and there when we're needed and when it warrants in our schedule. we have lots of things that we have to take care of before the big move. And I just want to say pilot season coming up. Pilot season is right around the corner. And last year was a really great year. We have Nancy Drew that's going to be airing pretty soon. I think it's already airing. So um, a lot of work last year. and We're looking forward to this year being prosperous as well. But I just want to say a big special thank you to all of the everyone in this community. You guys have taught me so much, not only about the world um, of comic books and of the MCU and the DCU and everything else, But you also have welcomed me in and um, been so wonderful and kind. I love the people in this room who have become like family to me, who I will continue to have friendships with for many, many years. And... um, Yeah, and for anybody, if you have any more questions on things like gaming, um, MCU, (laughs) comic books, uh, and for all of the incels out there, they're going to miss hating to love, loving to hate me on the chat. You can always just send me a DM on Instagram. I'll never see it and I'll never respond. But if you want to send some love, I promise I'll respond to that. So um, I love you all. I will miss you all, but I'm not leaving. Totally just yet, because we still have a lot more questions to answer. Um, And
0: and, and by the way, I I noticed a lot of people were asking, too, it's like, well, it doesn't mean you're giving up on acting, all that kind of stuff. Well, like, one of the things that happened as a result of the pandemic was that, like, in-person auditions were... Oh, that's so 1995 now. Like m- most of your auditions now are all done remotely. So you can be anywhere and still continue all your job of my and your auditions.
2: And this was a decision that Tom and I both, both made after speaking to our respective representation. And, you know, because it th- th- very much was, if you wanted to be a working actor in television or film, you really needed to be in L.A. or New York and mostly in Los Angeles. And so I was fully committed to our family staying in L.A. in perpetuity. And... After three years of nothing but Zoom and self-tape auditions, I finally said to my team, like, do I need to be here? And they said, honestly, you don't. So go wherever makes you happy. And obviously, and you I'll can fly in
0: and, and do your job.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And last year, you know, I mean, I did six jobs and only one of them was in Los Angeles. So uh, being in New York, we'll obviously be able to work in Toronto, New York, Atlanta, come back and work in L.A., Vancouver, you know, wherever they want to pay me to be is where I'll be. Um, and given that Tom is currently doing a play right now, a, a John Patrick Shanley show called the dreamer examines his pillow at the Broadwater black box, which is running through this weekend. We're looking forward to opening back up the world of theater for both of us as well.
0: All right. So there you go, guys. I, like I said, I let our channel members know about this yesterday and, um, And we're glad that you uh, that you were here to hear Erin make her announcement. But again, you'll see her again before before they make the move. But this is just her last regular day here. All right. With that said, let's keep on going. We got a a little bit of time left for some more questions from our channel members. What do we got next?
2: Uh, Selma McShave says, game day. Game Game day. Game day. (laughs) Looking forward to episodes seven through nine of Vox Machina. I read that Cheech Marin will voice the bear in episode seven. Didn't see that coming.
0: Wait a minute. Is the the three new episodes coming out tonight? Can you look that up for me, Taylor? Yeah. Because I'll tell you what. Episodes one through six of Vox Machina this year have been great. I was, this was a pleasant surprise show for me last year. Uh, the new season has been really, really. Stubble, Have you had
1: to- I haven't watched this season yet, but Double oh. would know. Right. Uh, it's it says Friday, February 3rd, so probably tonight at it- Probably tonight yeah. at midnight is when it drops. He's, drop. oh, he's in Sweden, about- so he'll
0: get him. All right. What's next?
2: Actually, I skipped one uh, from... Uh, bu- 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 one bu- more. There uh, it yeah, is. Zach Marcello says, love you, Aaron. Love you too, Zach. Best of, wish, best of wishes to you and your family for your next chapter. Thank you so much. Uh, Rafael Castillo says, Aaron, you are a shining beacon of knowledge, kindness, humor, and inner outer beauty. I'll miss you very much. Uh, I don't know what that word says. What?
1: Couple. It's Klingon for success. Kapla!
2: Oh my gosh! See how much you guys teach me. Yeah.
1: Kapla! Yeah, this
2: is a big this thing. This is amazing. I love you. Thank you, Raphael. From Thomas BDL says, "Hi team. Has anyone else seen the small indie movie Mass with Anne Doubt and Martha Plimpton? It is supposed to be amazing." Four people in a room discussing a mysterious tragedy they've experienced in very different ways. This film, its subject matter, and the actors' performances have haunted me for a year. It feels like a highly important film that everyone should watch. Do you guys know about this movie? Never even heard of it. It's the no. It, it is the parents, the mom, the mother, and the father, of a child who was murdered, and the parents of the child who murdered their yeah. son. And Ooh. they sit down face to face, and. Mm-hmm it oh my gosh I, I i haven't i haven't actually been able to bring myself to watch it tom saw it and he said that it is one of the most masterful displays of acting ability that he's ever seen in his life so it is on my list i just I gotta bring myself to watch it so yes mass if you want to see a master class in acting go watch this movie
0: all right what's next
2: uh, Lando says one of the things I've been wanting to see in the DCU is the Justice League Watchtower. Do you think we could be getting that in the new phase of DC?
0: Yes. I hope not. What? Watchtower? <laughs> honestly, Watchtowers are really It's it's an idiotic thing.
1: Dude, they've had the Justice League satellite since the 70s. I,
0: it, yeah, there's a reason that some things can work in a cartoon. And don't really work in in live. I I personally think it would be really stupid. Like all of a sudden they had a $700 billion uh, thing. And then who built it? Tony Stark. Who made it?
1: Well, would you have... Extraterrestrial members of the Justice League.
0: i uh, Still, no. I th- I think it would be really, really. I could he- I could see them like Wayne literally launching a satellite and them calling the satellite Watchtower. But having this huge Battlestar Galactica space station that's no moon. Hovering. Around, no, I think that's. I I think that is something that You're works no fine in a cartoon. I do not think that it works in live
1: action. Get that space out of
0: you. All right, what's next?
2: (laughs) From Raziel Prime says, Hi, team. 10 out of 10, cocaine bear transition, Rob. There you go. Yep. All right. That's
1: right. right. Or just cocaine in general. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Just cocaine. (laughs) SF
2: Laud says, Do you think we will get a Flash sequel or some sort of reboot? The Flash is my favorite DC superhero, and seeing as they deep fried the Flash TV show, done, I hate to not get any Flash content. What are your thoughts?
0: There will still be a Flash. It just won't be Ezra Miller. I mean, well, John, I heard them say, no, 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 They, they put out a very well-crafted PR Art. statement saying, ah, we'll worry about whether Ezra continues later. They're just focused on getting better. That's a very, very nice way. You you know those Keem Peel sketches with Obama and with uh, uh, President yes. Obama and Michelle Obama saying they bring in Luther, his translator? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let me let me bring in Peter Safran's translator. So when Peter Safran said, uh, we'll address that question later, we just want Ezra to focus on getting better right now. Uh, I will be his translator. Hell no! Then no, there's never, that. that's what Peter Safran... You're never going to see Ezra Miller as Flash again. But I do believe we will continue to see Flash. Flash is just too important of a character, I think, to, to DC. So I, I just... I can't see them not having Flash in their new world.
1: I don't know, what do you think? Well, he's, you know, a foundational member of the Justice League. So... I think that the Flash character, whoever plays Flash, he has to be ultimately part of, the, part of the JLA. And the great thing about Flashpoint is a rebooted universe gives you a reason if you are going to recast, recast. And if people will be like, okay, just like Thomas Wayne, maybe it's going to be, we'll see Thomas Wayne as Batman in the Flashpoint universe. Thomas, you know, where there was never a Bruce Wayne being Batman. It was Thomas Wayne. Yeah.
2: All right. What's next? From Love, Daggerborn says, If I were a betting man, I think that Martin Campbell will direct the next Bond movie. He has directed both GoldenEye and Casino Royale, which were both the first films for the last two Bonds, uh, which were both the first film for the last two Bonds, and they were both critically acclaimed. Broccoli seems to trust him rebooting their franchise. What do you think?
0: I'll be honest with you. I didn't think about that, but that actually makes some pretty good logical sense.
1: I mean, it could, depending on what he wants to do. You know, he, he directed the... The Michael Keaton, Maggie Q movie, the, uh, the, remember that, the, the,
0: the protégé. Yeah, the yeah. protégé. And that's a good movie. By I the way. liked it, too. I like that mean, one he, a lot. He
1: and, and they just released his old movie, No Escape, that Gail and her produced on on physical media again. And I like I like Martin Campbell. All right, what's next?
2: From Sam Fisher, did you see the interview where the interviewer had Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Sally Field, and Rita Moreno compare all the awards they had? It's hilarious. No, I
0: saw saw one of the interviews with all these. This is the 80 for Brady cast. And they were talking, and Jane Fonda went off this big thing about female relationships, which is actually pretty damn cool. But I did not see the segment, or or it might've been for a totally different interview because they've done a lot of interviews this week. I did not see them comparing their awards though.
2: I didn't, but I would love to see that. And you know, if you have not seen the Dolly Parton documentary that's currently out, and as you may know, I only follow one person on Instagram and it's Dolly Parton because she is the ultimate goat to me. Uh, They interviewed Jane Fonda and she talks a lot about the dynamic of putting together um, the cast of nine to five with Lily Tomlin, Dolly Parton and Jane Fonda. And she touches a little bit on that. And and Dabney
0: Coleman in that.
2: Yes. And it's so, fascinating. I would really, I mean, all of these women have incredible careers, and I'm really excited for the fact that they were able to get this movie made. It's based on a true story, and you know what? Whether you're interested in seeing these four women together, I think it's going to be really funny. Like, remember Wild Hogs? That's (laughs) that's not
1: not a very good Uh, movie. Oh, man. Remember Wild Hogs? That's that's not the... Dude, um, oh. have you seen the trailer for the new Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda movie that Paul Weiss directed?
2: No. It,
1: the, from about a, about, He directed About a Boy. It mm-hmm. looks great. Very, very, very fun. All
0: right, let's keep going here. We just got time for a couple more.
2: All right, uh, Ismael Montoya says, with Damian Wayne, can we expect Super Sons? It would be really cool.
1: Oh, I just watched that.
0: Yeah, I don't think so. Hey, not, not, not anytime soon. No, especially if we've got a younger Superman now. And all. So, yeah. I, you know, the answer is no. We don't expect that in live action. All right, what's next?
2: From Brandon uh, Entwistle says, yesterday I had someone not only answer their phone in the cinema, but also then make another <laughs> two calls. How can people be so ignorant of others?
0: I listen, Life. I don't get terribly upset when somebody's phone rings because guess what? That has happened to me once. And, and I felt embarrassed and stupid because I forgot to turn off the ringer, but then I turned it off, right? Beyond that, like if it happens again or you, you're actually then making a call, like, I'm sorry, you, nobody wants to be a rat. But at that point, you got to protect everybody else in the theater. You got to go get somebody in the theater and say, look, there's a patron, third row, right? That is just, that has several times gotten on their phone. And it's killing killing the experience for everybody in there. And someone's got to talk to them.
2: Every time I hear about somebody's phone going off in the theater, I remember being uh, in the theater watching E2 Mama Tambien and somebody's phone rang. And I went to give them like the you know turn your phone off look and it was Forrest Whitaker and I was like what an LA thing come to Los Angeles you never know whose phone will be going off in the movies
0: i i would the i had a slightly similar experience i was in the world premiere for uh Michael Jai White's um oh what's his Blacksploit- blood and Bone. what's that blood and bone no 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 I, the uh the uh, the one he did the black exploitation movie oh, oh um Guys, he's the like, oh. black dynamite. No, it wasn't black dynamite. It was a black. No, it was. It, it was, was black dynamite. It was black dynamite.
1: I love black dynamite. So
0: I, I love Michael Jai White, and so I was at the premiere for for black dynamite, and somebody forgot to turn off the ringer of their phone, and we everybody looked over to it. It was Craig Robinson from the office.
2: Uh-huh. But you could tell Craig you could, Robinson can do whatever he wants. Yeah, but
0: you could tell he was really embarrassed by he's ooh. And he like looks mm-hmm. around after he turned the phone off and he saw everybody was looking at him. It was actually pretty funny. All right, what's next?
2: Uh Richard Lyon says, Odds we see a teaser for the last airbender at Super Bowl been done with production for a while now.
0: No. Yeah. No, they're not they're not gonna put seven million dollars into uh into a spot in on, on that on Netflix Fox network. It's a Netflix thing. Yeah, yeah they're so not gonna, no. They're not gonna do that. All right, what's next?
2: Chef Rigo! Chef Rigo! Oh, oh. Chop, chop, chop. I'm grateful for TJCS. It keeps me distracted and saving me from depression after seeing my Cowboys play like shite in the playoffs.
0: See, your, your period should have been after shite. Uh, <laughs> that would have been a more complete... guy. listen, it's the Cowboys. Look, but, but, but if it makes you feel any better. I'm a Maple Leaf fan. So, I know. I know better than anybody... So, uh, yeah, being a fan of the Cowboys, that is not a good business to be in. That is a, that is a terminally, will always tank team. But you're talking to a guy who's the biggest fandom is a team who hasn't made it to the championship game the entire time I've been alive on this earth. At least the Cowboys got rings. In our lifetime. Probably in your lifetime. They, they got rings when they beat the Bills in the Super Bowl a couple times. They have got rings. My Leafs don't. And they have Debbie the does Dallas, too. <sighs> All right, what's next? What? <laughs> no,
2: I don't know what you said because I was talking at the same time. I'm sorry. Never mind. No, nah, okay. never it's mind. Uh, Stefan DeLindwutters said, hey crew, any, are any of you looking forward to Peter Pan and Wendy da- directed by David Lowry from The Green Knight, A Ghost Story, and Pete's Dragon? I haven't heard of it.
0: I, first of all, I liked Pete's Dragon.
1: I liked The Green Knight quite uh, a bit. Oh, The Green Knight was great <laughs> with Depp Patel? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was great. I, I, I mean, I'm sure it'll be
0: cool. I'm, I'm not really aware of it, to be honest with you. I think I've so it's heard It's another of it, retelling of Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. All right, on. we got time for one more. What's the last one? Fucking-
2: Sylvester Young d- says, good day, good peoples. I know you don't like ex actors for ex role questions, <laughs> but I'm going to ask one anyway. But if it was announced that Walker Scobell is the DCU's Damian Wayne, do you think he'd be a good fit? Thanks. And bring on the filthy. It is
0: so funny you asked that because somebody asked me the other day about so-and-so should be, be Damian Wayne. And it was somebody who is clearly too old now. And Scoble was a name that came to my head. Now, mm-hmm. now, look, but I only say that because Scoble is the right age. Yep. And he's a tremendous young talent. Yep. But it's, that's it. it it's, if you there, I'm sure there are many other actors out there, many other young performers who are absolutely the right age and absolutely have some great talent too. But if that was a name, of course, he's the new Percy Jackson. He's incredible in the Adam Project with Ryan Reynolds. It's great. So if they were to announce him, look, I'm not saying he'd be my first pick or anything like that. And I, again, we don't even know the script, so we don't know who would be the right fit. But he's so good that if they announced him, I'd be perfectly excited for
1: him. I, I, me too. I mean, I think he's a great, a great actor and a great. He kills it. His screen presence is great. Even in, what was it called? Secret headquarters. Was that the name of the? Yeah.
0: The, the Amazon movie was out with the Owen Wilson. Terrible movie, yeah. but he's great in it. He is great in it. He's really, really good. All right, guys. And that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campius Show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to those of you who are channel members, first of all, for being channel members, but secondly, for sending in some questions for us to discuss because you gave some great fun things to talk about. Uh, don't forget, guys, let's see if we can get that link back up there again, Jonathan. Um, down in the description of this video, and I trust Taylor or somebody's put this down in the description. Right Excellent. It's already in there. You will find down in the description of this video the link to get tickets for the upcoming February 19th event called An Evening with Campia, Harloff, and Alba. Come and join us for that live event in Burbank, California. We hope to see you there. Also, don't forget a little bit later today, we've got an open mic. So make sure you come on by and join us for that as well. And of course, come back tomorrow for the next installment of the John Campia Show. So for everybody in the room, Mr. Robert Meyer-Burnett, Back there, we got Ray Aura, of course Taylor Gonzalez running the show, Jonathan Boyko, and for her last regular appearance here today, eating that cookie. <laughs> by the Thanks, way, did Ray. you guys know yeah. that for the longest time, Aaron went by the name Cookie? She true did. story, true trivia. True. Uh, cookie Cummings, and of course <laughs> Little Joey Bishop. <laughs> guys, my name's John Cambia. Thanks for being here, and until next time, my friends. Bye bye.